And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Natai Gauthier. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, great weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming, the program. Of course, is brought to you by our title sponsor. You know them. You love them. Wilhock Beef Jerky, the absolute best beef jerky in Alberta and anywhere else as far as I'm concerned. Three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, and in West Edmonton Mall. But you go to their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com, and they will ship any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. That's at Wilhock Beef Jerky. Huge weekend as uh, the CHL... Almost the entire CHL gets going. The WHL and the Q both kick off the Ontario Hockey League delays for one week, which I think is kind of smart because there are a number of players, even just in the WHL, who are still at NHL camps. They're not back yet. So some teams are a little understaffed, undermanned to begin the year. And as much as I want to get the season going, it makes sense to me to delay it for another week like the OHL is. Regardless... Lots to get to, and uh, we are, the last five weeks of the show, the last four weeks of the show, heavy on the Western Hockey League, so obviously we're not going to be heavy on the dub again this week. We do have one WHL segment, though. I'll tell you who all four guests are at the end of this segment, but as always, we begin with uh, some news and notes, and I wanted to give a quick shout-out to all the patrons, patreon.com slash show. Over the last month, there have been... I think the amount of patrons has doubled, and a lot of people are really taking advantage of the seven-day free trial, so if uh, you haven't done that yet, you're not the only one, and a lot of people have now, and uh, I'm happy to say that the vast majority of those who have tried a seven-day free trial continue on and sign up for a month or for the year, which is great. I Honestly, I could not do the show without the support of my patrons, so a huge shout-out to each and every one of you. Let's get to the news and notes, and we will start in the Western Hockey League. Flurry of roster moves, because with the season starting, teams are trying to get down to their 20-year-olds. You can only have three. And uh, here's a few of the moves. Not all of them are updated on the Western Hockey League's uh, roster or uh, transactions page, unfortunately. But I can tell you that uh, Jaden Weens was traded from the Saskatoon Blades to the Brandon Wheat Kings. Keegan Slaney was put on waivers by the Calgary Hitmen. That one surprised me a little bit and was promptly claimed by the Regina Pats. So former Edmonton Oil King Keegan Slaney, who's from the Calgary area out of Airdrie and has played the last two or three seasons for the Hitmen, uh, will end his WHL career at least to start with 
with the Regina Pats. The Tri-City Americans, will they have to play this season without Parker Bell? Listen, it's a success story. You want guys to sign pro deals and move on with their career. At the same time, it's a big loss for Tri-City. Well, the Calgary Flames, who drafted Parker Bell, have now signed him to an entry-level contract. He's eligible to play in the American Hockey League nine times out of ten. If you're eligible to play in the American League, that's where you're going to end up going, especially if you're signed. It's become a bit of a trend in the last little while. There seems to be one, two, maybe three guys who are eligible to do that who end up getting sent back. Tristan Robbins uh, a couple of years ago was that example. San Jose Sharks prospect. Noah Gregor also a San Jose Sharks prospect who were returned in their 20-year-old season to their respective WHL clubs. Luke Prokop was that guy last year. Eventually, so is Dylan Gunther. A little bit different circumstance there, but we will see. Parker Bell uh, would be a big loss, though, for the Tri-City Americans. A couple of smaller deals in the WHL uh, earlier this week. Carter Derenuski was dealt from the Victoria Royals to the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Only cost Lethbridge an eighth-round pick. Here's a guy who was, I think, expected to do a lot more at the Western Hockey League level than he has done thus far in Victoria. If the Hurricanes can tap into that uh, potential, then uh, giving up an eighth-round pick a couple of years from now, probably worth that uh, that opportunity. It's not. I, I'd say it's worth the risk. But it's not really a risk. You're getting a player who can play in the league, and you're hoping that he can find his uh, his offensive game. Victoria also making a trade as they sent a seventh-round pick to Red Deer in exchange for Escalus Burlock, who's from Edmonton, played a little bit last year as a rookie in the league. So Red Deer moving him uh, at a still early stage of his career. Now the WHL begins action this weekend on Friday night. I will be down in Red Deer. Andrew Peard and I, the voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, we do the carpool down to Red Deer. Really looking forward to that. Now the Rebels will be without, I believe, Hunter Mayo as, is at the Los Angeles Kings camp. Kalen Lind signed by the Nashville Predators, so I assume he's going to be at Nashville's camp. And then there's uh, Matt Lindgren also off the blue line. He will be in uh, Buffalo taking part in the Sabres camp. As for the Edmonton Oil Kings, they will be without two players this weekend as well who are still off at NHL camps. Of course, Wojtek Port, who was drafted by Anaheim in uh, the this past draft, he is at their camp. And uh, the Calgary Flames invited Nathan Pilling to their main camp. And uh, I, I'm already on record. I think Nathan Pilling is maybe the surprise breakout player for the Oil Kings this year. I've already kind of uh, quietly with Andrew Peard predicted uh, Pilling could score 30 goals this season. And Edmonton also has a couple of injuries uh, to deal with this weekend. Tyson Nash will be out for a a number of weeks. I think he's week to week. And uh, unfortunately, Gavin Hodnett, not good to go at the start of the season here either. He was banged up in a game against the Calgary Hitmen, the first exhibition game. And I think Trayson Whatney is a game-time decision the last I heard on that. Edmonton takes on Red Deer Friday night in Red Deer and at home here in Edmonton on Saturday. Other games this weekend on Friday night, the Regina Pats and the Brandon Wheat Kings meet in Manitoba. Calgary welcomes Medicine Hat. Swift Current is on the road against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Moose Jaw and Prince Albert collide in PA. Kamloops is hosting the Spokane Chiefs. The Prince George Cougars welcome the Tri-City Americans. The Victoria Royals are in Vancouver to begin the season. And the Winnipeg Ice Scratch, Wenatchee Wild, 
begin the season at home against the Portland Winterhawks. I mentioned that the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League also begins this weekend. It starts with the Acadie Bathurst Teton taking on the St. John Sea Dogs. Moncton is on the road in Cape Breton to play the Eagles. Halifax and Charlottetown meet in uh, Halifax. Drummondville goes to Gatineau. Ramuski welcomes the Tigre from uh, Victoriaville. Sherbrooke, the Phoenix, rise to meet the BB Armada. And Bay Camo begins on the road against the Shikurimi Saganin. There are still three teams in the Alberta Junior Hockey League with perfect records. There are also three teams without a victory without a single uh, point thus far. On top of the standings, we have the Camrose Kodiaks, the Okotoks Oilers, and the Sherwood Park Crusaders, all of them 3-0 and to begin the year. And at the bottom, the Grand Prairie Storm, who are 0-2, then Drayton Valley and the Olds Grizzlies, both of those teams winless after three games. Notable offense here from the Drumheller Dragons, 19 goals uh, in their first three games, and they're 2-1. and They've scored 19, they've given up 11. So uh, high-scoring games if you're going to go watch the Drumheller Dragons. And based on that, not a surprise to see that there are three Drumheller Dragons leading the league in scoring right now. Easton Adrian has nine points, only one of which is a goal. Adam Ressler has uh, four goals and four assists for eight points, and Van Uas has eight points as well. The British Columbia Hockey League begins action this weekend as well. Regular season action. Coquitlam hosting Alberni Valley. Victoria on the road against Surrey. The Nanaimo Clippers welcome a couch in Valley. The mighty Penticton Vs begin in, on the road in West Kelowna against the Warriors. Salmon Arm hosting the Vernon Vipers. Cranbrook goes to trail. Merritt collides with Powell River. Chilliwack and Langley get together. All of those games on Friday night. South of the border, the United States Hockey League has begun their regular season with the big Fall Classic Showcase in uh, Pittsburgh. It began with two games earlier this week on Wednesday, Tri-City getting past Youngstown 2-1, and the Sioux Falls Stampede 5-2 victors against the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders. More games on Thursday. Chicago winning a close one, went to overtime 3-2 against Sioux City. Lincoln falls 4-1 to the Green Bay Gamblers. Cedar Rapids and Youngstown, who were both winless on the opening night, they got together, and uh, Cedar Rapids laid a beating on Youngstown, 5-1 the final in that game. And then Tri-City improves to 2-0 on the season, with a 2-1 edging of the Sioux Falls Stampede. Obviously extremely early, but worth noting that uh, former Edmonton Oil King draft pick, Cade Littler, who is the son of Wenatchee Wild general manager Bliss Littler, played in the BCHL the last couple of years, led that team in scoring. He is now in the USHL with Cedar Rapids, leading the league in scoring after a couple of games. Three goals. So good to see that. A nice little Oil King connection to the USHL right now. A couple of weeks into the North American Hockey League regular season. Most teams have played four or five. Some have even played as many as six or seven games thus far. Nobody has a perfect record anymore in the in the null. But as close as you can get, the Northeast Generals, they're 5-1. and one. The Rhinos of El Paso are 4-2. and two. New team Colorado, the Grit, they lost their first three games, and they've won three in a row since then. They do have a shutout loss somewhere in that mix. Apologies if I didn't get the exactly if they were 0-3 and, and then won three in a row and then the overtime loss. Uh, but they are perfectly 500 to begin their rookie season. 
Still leading the league in scoring is uh, Sixten Genersho, who is uh, from Sweden. And next is Massimo Gentile, who's from Montreal. Third in scoring is Matteo DiCipio, who's another Canadian. He's from Ottawa. So the Rochester Junior Americans getting uh, some nice offensive leadership from a couple of non-Americans, Gentile and DiCipio, both from Canada. Now, the NCAA Division I season begins here in a, uh, well, about three weeks, I guess. Time to for us here on the Pipeline Show to uh, get prepared for the coming season. I'll have a segment on that coming up this week, and we'll continue to do that moving forward. The big story right now is a negative one. Earlier this week, a statement from the CCHA conference. I'll read it to you quickly. The Central Collegiate Hockey Association has been notified of an alleged hazing incident within the Bowling Green State University hockey program. The CCHA stands behind our student-athletes and condemns any form of hazing or abuse. I have complete confidence in Bowling Green's unbiased investigation, and the league will withhold further comment until the investigation is complete. That attributed to Don Lucia, who is the commissioner of the CCHA. Now, details, as you would imagine, kind of sparse. We do know that head coach Ty Eigner, Eigner, not sure if it's uh, which way it's pronounced, but uh, he has been placed on interim suspension. It was an off-campus event involving players on the team, uh, but hazing. And I, I, to, in this day and age, I actually I never understood hazing. I was hazed playing high school football. It didn't make any sense to me then. It doesn't make any sense to me now. And what I got in high school was not what the, all the horror stories that we hear about, especially around hockey over the last 30, 40 years. The story at USCHO says the names of the players suspended were not made public by the school, but forward Austin Swankler has entered the transfer portal and apparently will not play for Bowling Green this season. He had 44 points in 35 games last year, so that obviously a big loss for Bowling Green. He was named the CCHA co-preseason player of the year. Now, it should be noted that Swankler was not one of the three players who were suspended in this whole incident. That according to David Briggs of the Toledo Blade. According to the story uh, from Briggs, Swankler had entered the transfer portal citing concerns about the hockey program's culture. And Swankler is quoted as saying, the things that were happening here just didn't fit my culture and my values. I didn't want to be a part of it. So there you go. Not a great week if you are a fan of the Falcons from Bowling Green. All right, let's get going with the show. Of course, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. I got a fresh new shipment of Troubled Monk earlier today, as a matter of fact. A couple of cases of the original hard iced tea. That would be the Troubled Tea. Looking forward to that. A variety of the beers, obviously. And quite honestly, I like the soda. I'm not a big soda guy. I don't drink a lot of pop anymore. But there's something about theirs because it's not overpoweringly sweet. They've kind of cut it back to just the Saskatoon and orange uh, sodas, so a couple of different varieties there. I hate to tell everybody, but I think I got the last six-pack of root beer. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop, see what they have to offer, and if you go to any liquor store in Alberta, you should be able to find Troubled Monk, and if you can't, ask them for it. They can bring it in for you. Here is this week's guest list and the order that we will have these conversations. We are going to begin with the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and brand new commissioner Mario Cicchini. It's a great way to start off the week, isn't it? Have a commissioner on the program. Really enjoyed the conversation with him as well. And I think you will too, 
it's not all softballs, that's for sure, and uh, he handles all the questions extremely well, I would have to say. We go from the queue to the Ontario Hockey League. Brock Otten is our guest, of course, uh, head scout with McKean's. Who are the teams and who are the players to watch for this year in the OHL? And, of course, have to ask him about the draft-eligible players from the league as well. So lots to get to with Brock. From there, we go to Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald and the Rink Live. We're talking about the NCHC Conference in Division One men's college hockey, getting a preview from arguably the top league in the NCAA. And we will wrap up this week's episode with an extended conversation with Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun. Perry and I, it's sort of a roundtable. I don't know if it's a roundtable with only two people, but we go back and forth on uh, what we're expecting from the WHL's Eastern Conference. He's in Brandon. I'm in Edmonton. We're breaking down the 11 teams. So if you're a fan of the dub and especially out east, uh, you'll want to tune in for that segment for sure. Hey, remember the Pipeline Show used to be on the radio? Well, it kind of is again, as a matter of fact, except you don't have to be in the Edmonton area to hear this radio station, which is awesome. Go to edmontonsportstalk.com. Half the guys you would remember from TSN 1260 in Edmonton, they've got together Dustin Nilsson, Matthew Awanek, Lieutenant Eric, Tom Gazzola. They're the masterminds behind all of this, and they've put together this new project. It's really cool. Dustin Nielsen, who some of you will know as uh, one of the broadcast voices on TSN for the Canadian Football League. You know, Dustin, man, we called games together at like the Viking Cup and we called ACAC hockey games together. It's a really good broadcaster and uh, he, along with the others, have this new project. It's called Edmonton Sports Talk. You can go, you can hear the, the Nielsen Show. It's live. They're live streaming it on YouTube and you can listen live as well if you just want to be, you know, if you're in your car couple of clicks and you're uh, listening to the Nilsson show from Edmonton you might be in New Brunswick you might be in Texas and you can get it and it's clear as day and the pipeline show is part of it they're taking each weekly episode which comes out for you at the pipeline show.com on Fridays but if you happen to be driving around in your car and you want to tune in you can do that noon on Saturdays and 8 p.m on Monday evenings and again, those are not live episodes. That's uh, what you're hearing right now. But really excited to be a part of this new project. That's EdmontonSportsTalk.com. Okay, let's get going with the show. The new commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is Mario Cicchini, and he is up first via the Troubled Monk Hotline. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Down there by Zaboral. Puck comes free. Ward's clearing play to the line. It skips out to center. Valeno trying to break shorthanded. Joe Valeno, penalty coming. Valeno deking, scores! Joe Valeno, shorthanded goal! Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Wilhawk beef jerky. Go Wilhawk! Go Wilhawk! Everybody came! Wilhawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Wilhawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program, of course, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website, which is wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, we are going to start this week's show in a fine fashion as it's it's a season of transition for the Canadian Hockey League. Uh, we have a new commissioner uh, coming in uh, the Western Hockey League, a new commissioner coming in the Ontario Hockey League as uh, Ron Robison and, and David Branch are entering their final year in that role. And we already have a brand new commissioner in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and I am pleased to say he's joining me now. Mario Cicchini, the new commissioner in the queue. Uh, sir, welcome to the program. How are you? Very good. I hope you are doing well also. Uh, excited for the uh, start of uh, another Canadian Hockey League season gets going this weekend in all three leagues, which is great to see. Uh, and I, I imagine there's some uh, uh, a new level of, of excitement for you as you have this new role and the league is just about to take off. I know you were around the league in the playoffs, but is it a little different now that it's sort of officially your league? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, first of all, my God, you're giving me a great honor here. When you say my league, it's not my league. It's really the league, the league of everybody that works so hard into it. I, I've met the GMs and all the coaches twice in a training session last week. Again today, over on Zoom, and I, I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really comforted by the passion that uh, everybody has into what they do. And uh, it's fun to call it our league and move forward along those lines. But I am so excited. I mean, uh, you mentioned for your listeners, actually, that I had the luxury. My first day was May 8th, and the first playoff game of the final was May 12th of mm-hmm. that week. So uh, I ended my first week with, with a, a, a jam-packed building of 18,000 people in Quebec City versus Halifax. Um, so it was, it was just a beautiful month coming in. And obviously the Q went on to win their fourth Memorial Cup, uh, in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was quite exciting, but it is quite different. Um, I enjoyed it back then and now it's more preparation mode. Like I enjoy it as much. I'm excited as much, but at the same time, it is, I've participated in working and <laughs> yes. making this launch successful and and adjusting rules and adjusting uh, some protocols and so it was very busy summer it was a fun summer and we cannot wait to get started yeah I, whenever i talk to one of the commissioners or presidents from the various junior hockey leagues in north america it seems like the the off season is in quotation marks because that's your busy season once the season gets going you kind of just go along with things and and watch but it's really in the the off season where all the hard work for the the league is done is that fair to say no it's more than fair and actually right now i find that there's no more downtime right i Mm. mean in the in the winter there's a season of course and things occur during uh, the season always but definitely the summer months uh with the pressure we have with technology and innovations and initiatives and new things that come about and we don't want to be left behind we have a lot of catching up to do in some areas we're very good in others so we want to push that you know benchmark even even higher and 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 do everything we do do it better year after year so it's an extremely busy season a busy summer i mean Whenever a team gets a new head coach or a new general manager, I can always ask the question, all right, now how will the team look different on the ice? Or is there a different philosophy for your for your organization? It's completely different with a commissioner. I don't know how to frame that question. 
How will the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League look different under your guidance? Well, it's it's a very good question because I think when you talk about a team, you talk directly the involvement, the changes are immediate right. sometimes, literally from the game to to the game if you change the game plan. In our case, it's always more long-term planning. Uh, you know, what you will see, and I would let you qualify it versus the past because I think a lot of it, a, a, a lot of what I'm going to tell you is normal evolution. It's just it's just the course of things ongoing that whether, regardless there was a change or not, uh, it would have happened. The speed of which things happen might be a bit different and might be quicker right now, and that's also a sign of the times. And a perceived quickness after three years of COVID, as an example. You know, so the mindset on how we look at things is very, very different than before. But to to give you some of the pointers of the things that are close to my heart, it definitely, and you sensed it, it's uh, safety, mm-hmm. uh, safety for the kids. And I'd like to think that we'll meet the kids where they are at this point, you know, from a generational point of view of what they like and how they look at things. I want to make sure that we give them an environment that is is great that they can thrive on. And, and for me, it's not an empty phrase. You know, when we say we get kids at 15, 16, uh, we draft at 15, they get here at 16, they're still kids in a way, right? They're teenagers and they leave as grown men after an experience of four to five years that um, that for some is unique, is once in a lifetime. So I don't take that lightly at all. And, and let me tell you from talking to numerous former players playing as recently as two, three years ago and some that played 30 years ago, uh, they still talk highly of, of these years and, and some with, with the best years in their lives. So mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you don't know that while you're in it. You know, you only realize that when you grow out of it. But it's really something that I now know and gives me a sense of purpose. How how great I want this experience to be. You know, we'll be we'll be looking. So safety is one. We'll be looking at flexibility in this in the flexibility in the schooling situation. Also, mm-hmm. uh, we have four provinces. We need to adapt to some demands. So we'll be looking into that and hopefully meeting demands for kids that have that have different needs, special needs. Uh, maybe we can be helpful in that territory. We'll definitely have a huge um, look always on technology. How can we make the experience better? How can we make the experience of the fan better, of the game better? We are introducing this year, for example, um, a, um, a just, just a replay video, things that have been there for a while in, uh, in, in the NHL, for example, mm-hmm. that we want to introduce here. So making... You know, in case of very tight judgment, the referee will be able to go back and check. Uh, I want to work on a better webcast. I want to improve webcasts. Also, that's normal as we go, as we grow year after year. That's our marquee. CHL TV is our marquee, if you will, place to watch the games. So I want to make sure that we have, for instance, that the the intermissions have uh, content in them. So uh, these are some of the things that, that we will be working on as years go by. I don't know if it's possible, but when it comes to the, the webcast, because you're in a part of the country that's very bilingual, if I tune in to watch, say, the Quebec Rampart, I love to, to listen to Ray Cloutier call a game because he's so passionate. Yeah. I, I only understand about a third of what he's saying, but uh, I, I really enjoy it. That said... Can you have an English and a French broadcast? Well, that could be probably a challenge. And the only reason I'm saying that is because, and you probably know this, and you've heard it from other teams, 
is to find the talent. Yes. Is to find the people who can actually do that, you know? Um, uh, we have markets where it's a bit easier. Like Quebec City is probably a place where it's easier to find talent. Other markets, it's more of a challenge right now. And, and it's a specialty. As you know, Guy, uh, it is, it's okay if I call you Guy, right? Of course. That's my name. Okay. So as you know, um, there's, uh, you know, it's not an easy job. You just don't sit there and describe, you know, you need the passion. You, you, you mentioned the emotions in it. You need the knowledge. It's hard work and people don't realize it. You, you, so, um, so that's, that would be a challenge. And in some of the regions, see, the same applies. For example, if you would, if you would, if I would uh, ask you tomorrow, can you find a French version, um, sure. for the, this, for the, for the description of the oil kings? Um, it's a challenge to find a French speaking person that has that talent in, in some markets. So that's, for us, it'd probably be the same, uh, the same thing. But as long as you understand the passion that comes out of it, yeah. I'm sure you still enjoy the description. Absolutely, you can't listen to Ray Cloutier call a game and not enjoy it. It's uh, it's outstanding for sure, <laughs> especially when they win, of course. That's especially right. When the Rimparts win, <laughs> Mario Chiquita, the new commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, my guest. Uh, you stressed safety for the players, uh, and that that would be both on and off the ice. Let's talk about on the ice for a second, and that's yep. that's where the fighting uh, situation comes in. The steps that you've taken to. I don't know if you can absolutely 100% get rid of fighting in hockey, but the punishment for it, at least it's a deterrent. We want to cut down on fighting. My, my thought was it was already on the way out. Uh, we've seen fighting drop a lot over the last 10, yep. 15, 20 years, but you've taken extra steps. Uh, maybe just explain the reasoning behind it. Well, I guess to your point, it's a very valid point. Uh, first of all, to, to what you said and on, on the top of your question, uh, um, you know, I, uh, fighting will happen. Um, I guess, um, and uh, it's very important that you stress that it's how we react to it. You know, mm-hmm. just like uh, I always compare it to the laws around, uh, 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 you know, um, driving under. Uh, on, uh, how do you kill this? Under the influence. Uh, under the influence. Thank you. Uh, the government makes very severe rules. You, they can take away your permit to drive. Yet it happens once in a while. So. For us, it's the same. The league has started probably way back, I would go 15 years in time, to crack down on this. So it's nothing really new. And to your point, in, in, 20, in 29, 209, 2016, 2020, uh, 2020, there was really some steps that were made in order to be more severe with fights. And this was probably the last step. Like, we were there. It was the easiest step to do. Um, because we're, we basically, you had to watch, I believe, don't quote me on the stats. I think they told me around 14 games last year, uh, in order to see one fight. So to your point of on the way out and all the teams realize that it's not that big of a deal right now. So why not do it now? And that's where it went, you know? So we just basically joined the rest of the world in terms of, of sporting events and major sports and just aside from hockey, of course, but said, aside from the NHL, but said that at the, at the end of the day, if you fight, you're, you're out of the game and potentially if you fight repetitively, so a second time, a third time, mm-hmm. then you may get uh, suspended. And we had about three teams, again, correct me if I'm wrong, Lee, I think at least two teams that did not fight last year at all. So, and I think four teams that fought less than three or four times. So, to your point, not a big of a deal for people who follow the league here. Just a normal, natural step that was started back in 2009. And I know the initial response, a lot of 
fans, maybe they don't even, they're, they're hockey fans, but maybe not necessarily junior hockey fans. The immediate reaction was, how can you do that? You can't, you're just making everybody, it's yeah. too soft. The initial reaction seemed to be pretty negative. But as this moves forward and we evolve here and we see how it plays out, do you expect that if there were some negative reaction from the fans, that'll kind of go away and everything will be fine? I think so. First of all, I would, I would, uh, it's interesting that you're broadcasting out of Edmonton and you're in New Brunswick because the, the reaction, uh, varies, you know, from, from uh, territory to territory, from province to province. Some, some are more severe with us. Others here in Quebec, I can tell you, I'll, I'm, I'm just getting congratulations most of the time. Uh, when I walk around, when people, when people come up, uh, it's really something that was, it's, it's a natural evolution and some people are happy, you know, so that's, 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 um, that's part of one reason. The other reason I think, and you know, uh, the generation of kids that I mentioned are probably there. The fact that it was going away, the fact that it's not predominant in, in their play, you know, we just finished 64 games of uh, preseason and we had one fight. Hmm. So I, think the coaches, the GMs, the players adjusted. Some of them don't, you know, if you compare from 20 years ago, there's probably were 10 or 12 guys on a team that would fight. Uh, now there's maybe one or two or, or, or three. So it's not the same situation as before. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to move towards that direction, probably of acceptance. And again, going back when people, um, uh, you know, I'm sure some people were um, were thinking out loud when we put the rules in and realized that they were not seeing that much fighting anyway. So mm-hmm. therefore, when we say sometimes that it's used as a strategy, you know, to turn the momentum around or something, well, it was not used that much in Quebec because we had a total of 80 fights over 612 games. So it's not even 10%. Um, so it, it, it's not a major thing here in in the queue and i think i think those who are against it will just see the benefit of it and and we'll move on actually it's it's you know the stats we have quebec city is one team that hasn't fought in two years Baldar, and quebec city has the biggest crowd i know they've attracted the biggest crowd over the past two years so it's not even a detriment to uh, ticket sales um so that makes us very optimistic some people will say what you're going to experience is a lot more stick penalties, a lot more slashing and cheap yeah. shots and stuff. It, do you think that is a fair concern? No. Well, uh, first of all, every concern is fair. So I'm not, I'm not saying that because we actually, in the thought process of all of this, we looked at that, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big, I come from research background, so I'm a big data guy. And I look at the data and just the example that I just gave you, you know, uh, Quebec City over the past two years. No more. They did not suffer, nor did they give or receive, I should say, nor did they give more slashing or uh, body checks or, uh, you know, those penalties that one would qualify violent with the stick or hits to the head or something like that. Nothing more happened. And people in the league knew that these things were not necessarily fighting. So it's not as if they were hiding it, you know. So we didn't see any difference. This year in the preseason, we just compared, it's preseason. But still, it's, it's high-emotion hockey. As you know, kids are trying to make the team and so on. So we had double the fight from a ratio point of view. Like last, last preseason, we had 20 fights. This year, we had one. We compare high-sticking. We compare slashing. We compare cross-checking, uh, dirty hits, slew foot, whatever. 
everything that could be that considered real serious. Um, and it's basically the same penalty, nothing more. Wow. Uh, uh, so, so far, so good. And uh, we've obviously told the GMs and the coaches, and it's important that you know he, that every GM, every coach participated in that decision this summer. They saw clips. They reacted to it. They had a chance to chip in. What is defined as a fight when is a player engaged or not engaged? Because if a player defends himself, he won't be considered fighting. So all of these things, um, it's really a group effort to get to a place where everybody's comfortable. Mario Cicchini is the commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, all right, we talked about safety on the ice. Uh, safety off the ice for players, I don't think there's a, yeah. a worse topic, uh, in my opinion, for junior hockey than when we hear about hazing or whether it's player on player or something that a, a coach has done to a player. Uh, it's just an ugly, ugly black eye. You know, we had an issue with uh, an incident in Sherbrooke two or three years ago. But it doesn't just, it's not a black eye just for Sherbrooke or for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It's for the entire Canadian Hockey League and hockey in general. How do we get rid of stuff like that from the sport? Absolutely agree, first of all. I think you're being kind when you call it a black eye. It's really something that we don't want to see anymore. And just for just for the record, the incident in Sherbrooke is more like seven years ago. Okay. Just just to uh, so, the, so the listeners, uh, because I think it makes a difference. First of all, I think what we've heard about a lot of it is is, is um, was a long time ago. It's it's it came to the surface now, but we had examples in other leagues where it happened recently. So we take it very seriously. What he did and what what we did this summer, actually, so very recent and. Part of it was was um, concluded last Wednesday. We uh, we worked on training first of all. The first thing we did we united the GMs, we united the head coach, the uh, sports uh, therapist also, and uh, basically have a full day of training on how to address. I like to call it the new generation. You know how to address and meet them where they are and make sure that we the language that we use. And they understand that you don't manage everybody the same way. Coaches know that, don't get me wrong. GMs know that, don't get me wrong. They do, and they are good. But there's a lot of pressure on them. You know, things happen very quickly. So we also gave them all the resources so they don't feel like they have to have all the answers to every problem. Because it's not only hazing. Sometimes it's going to be mental health or mental illness. Mm -hmm. It's going to be anxiety. You know, the kids suffer from this and they may confide in their coach. So we sort of gave them a toolbox, if you will, to use a, a term like, like that and say, here's where you can call. Uh, we had a full day of training on how to build team, team activities, uh, positive team activities, of course, define your own values with specialists that came and talked to the coaches and head coaches. So we stress that. And then obviously we'll have a sort of code of conduct, if you uh, if you will, mm -hmm. that we will that is um, signed by every player and splash on the wall. So they read it every day. On uh, because you said it also one disappointing theme. A lot of it is um, player on player. We don't want that. Right. We don't want that. You're supposed to be in a safe environment with kids because uh, there's, there's an important difference when you're 20 and 16, you know? Right. And uh, so we want those guys coming in to feel safe and to be able to to show off their talent. That's what they're for. So they need their head in the right place all the time uh, and feel a sense of belonging to the team, not that they have to resist or something might happen. It needs to be positive. 
it seems quite basic, but it is a very high emotional environment. Uh, so we, we tried a lot to give them tools and reminders. Um, like I say, on the wall of the dressing room, it's going to be right there. Uh, and everybody will sign it. So there's some form of commitment there. And obviously, we have follow-ups during the year. We have went also to a uh, independent uh, system. If somebody wants to put in a complaint, it's not to the league. It's a totally independent. The investigation, I'm using a big word, but if something needs to be decided, it's done by an independent party. And we will, they will get back to us, and then we will act accordingly. So nobody anymore... Even and, and don't get me wrong, um, I'm not saying that the process before was flawed. I'm saying that somebody could perceive it. You know, if you want to complain about something, it it could be perceived by some strange that you complain to the league, because the league has a as a an interest, of course, um, in the person that's uh, that's being complained against. So now that it's independent, I think the kid, if they want to do a complaint and it's well deserved then they will feel more, it's going to be easier, I guess, and um, for them to put in a complaint. So these are some of the, you know, one, two, three steps that we did um, uh, this summer and just to implement this year. So to have that safe environment that we all try for. Excellent. Uh, I, I do want to talk more about that, or I wish I could, but I know we're almost out of time. I do have one more topic that I want to get to, but I didn't want to just gloss over that situation. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, expansion into the United States. I, I know the Q had been in uh, areas like Maine in the past. Uh, it's the only CHL league that doesn't have any uh, teams based in the United States. Yeah. I had spoken with your predecessor, Joe Corteau, about that before. He had mentioned Vermont and New Hampshire and, and going back to Maine were all viable. Any thought uh, to that in the near future? And by that, I mean in the next two or three years. Well, Vincent, Vermont, and you went for a much prefer uh, Texas and Florida, where it's uh, much warmer. <laughs> but I think it will be too much of a uh, of a bus ride. Uh, no, well, no, no, no thoughts yet, uh, Guy. To be honest, that was not on the topic since I came in in May, and that's short. We, um, I guess, my the way I answer that question, my preoccupation is always the pool of talent. You know, where are we at right now? For the most part, we feel we're at a good place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is interest sometimes that is raised, and I'm sure I'm going to look into that in the coming years. But there's nothing in the short term that's on the that's cooking right now. Well, sir, I really appreciate you making time like this. Uh, the regular season gets going on Friday. I believe there are six or seven games in the queue uh, that night, and more on the weekend. Uh, yeah. So it's a, a really exciting time. It was uh, great to meet you like this, and I wish you uh, the best of success. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. There is the new commissioner of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. That is Mario Cicchini. And I really appreciate not just making time to come on the show. I had actually asked for him back in August, but uh, there was just so much going on on his that he had so much on his plate at the time that they asked if they could do it this week uh, right before the season starts. So uh, it was great to get this conversation finally in and right before the season. And I also appreciate that he didn't gloss over anything. He didn't duck any questions. Those are some big, heavy topics to address head on. And I'm sure he's been doing that all summer. So it, so nothing new for him. But what did you think of what he had to say in particular about fighting, about hazing, even about expansion? There were other topics I wanted to get to that uh, we just we didn't have enough time. I had half an hour to speak with him. 
we actually chit-chatted for about five minutes before we we even hit the record button, which was nice, but now I kind of regret it because there were a couple of things I didn't uh, get to. I didn't ask him about his background or why he had an interest in taking the job, and those were things that I would have done uh, if I had more time. But let me know what you thought from the new commissioner of the queue and uh, his thoughts on all of those uh, hot-button topics. You can let me know what you thought. Find me on X or Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Next up on the program, we are going to go to the Ontario Hockey League, uh, get a bit of a preview of the season through the eyes of a scout. Brock Otten from McKean's is going to join me. Who has the power in the OHL? What are the expectations for the teams to watch and the players to watch for? We'll find out next via the Troubled Monk hotline as a Brock Otten is my guest. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves. Verdana going into the near circle, trailing Musty high slot, lets it fly, he scores! Quentin Musty's second of the game, a 2-0 Wolves. And welcome to The Pipeline Show. Race through the crowded stadium with sweat pouring a glass of crisp cold beer refreshes my webpage, but the computer crashes into another car who instinctively grabs the release on my chute and hits the bedside alarm. Apparently, it's time to wake up. Ignite imagination. Advertising on the Pipeline Show works. Who listens to the Pipeline Show? People like you. Share the story of your business with targeted customers. Contact Guy directly at Guy at thepipelineshow.com. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We go from the Quebec Majors Junior Hockey League uh, with the commissioner in the first segment of the show. In this segment, we are uh, headed to the Ontario Hockey League. We'll get a bit of a season preview as we're going to be joined momentarily by uh, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey a uh, reminder that the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, Alberta's best. You can't win friends with salad. You can go to their website and have it shipped to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, Brock Otten, back on the Pipeline Show. Brock, how was your summer? A little busy. Yeah, yeah, a little busy. Got married, uh, <laughs> went on our honeymoon to Hawaii. It was, uh, it was a busy summer, but I mean, good busy. Good busy. What what time of year did you or what in the summer did you go to Hawaii? Because I know they had that disastrous fire. <laughs> right, right around the fires. We were actually in Hawaii. We weren't in Maui. We were in Honolulu when the fires broke out. But we okay. were actually supposed to go to Maui the following day. Um, so it was kind of like wake up in the middle of the night to the emergency alert. Then it's like, oh man, we got to talk to the travel agent tomorrow. Try to sort all that out. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it did create a little bit of. Uh, little chaos for, for the honeymoon, but it, it was, it ended up being good. And obviously, you know, not as unfortunate as uh, the poor people who live in Maui, right? Yeah. No kidding. Congratulations on the wedding. And I'm glad that you had an alibi at least for, uh, while you were in, (laughs) in Hawaii to not be around the fire. Yeah. Uh, I apologize. I don't want to make light of that situation. That was awful. No, no, but it's, yeah, it really is. And, uh, it's very unfortunate. Uh, Brock, let's get to the, uh, the hockey and, uh, the OHL season. I was, I thought it was starting this weekend, but you corrected me before we uh, started recording this, that, uh, the WHL and the Q start this weekend, but the OHL delays for a week, and it makes a lot of sense why they do that because there's a lot of 
NHL guy or guys who are away at NHL camps who would be pretty important to their OHL teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think it makes sense to delay it until at least that first week, right? Uh, otherwise, teams are just using Junior B, Junior A call-ups, guys who are just on minimal cards. The quality of, of the games isn't going to be as high. Um, injury risk is going to increase the players who aren't ready. Uh, I, I like the way that the OHL has done it. Uh, I'm kind of shocked, actually, that the, the dub and the Q. Uh, the Q usually starts earlier. That That's nothing new, but I am kind of shocked that, that the dub is starting. They usually kind of line up with the O. All right. Well, the uh, the OHL will start, and I believe it's the Thursday, the 28th. There'll be a couple of games, and then everybody gets going on Friday and Saturday. Uh, but so, so preseason still happening this weekend. Uh, so far, the Kitchener Rangers looking pretty good. They have the top two leading scorers in the league. I don't know what you expected from Carson Raycop uh, this year after his uh, draft season, but man, he's got 11 points in preseason. And again, it's preseason. We got to take all of that with a uh, rather large grain of salt. Uh, but the Kitchen Rangers off to a, a a positive start. Yeah, they're they're a real wild card this year. They've brought in the the new coach from from Finland, who has a, a ton of international experience. Has been somebody who's had a lot of success internationally in that Finnish program. Brings sort of a new look to the OHL, right? And then, uh, I'm really curious to see how that ends up translating. The early results in the preseason have been great. Um, Carson Raycroft. It uh, looks great in preseason action. They're a team that's sort of in the mix in the West with a whole bunch of other ones that really their season could go uh, one of two ways. There, there's a whole glut of teams in the West. I, I think there's, and I, I'm sure we're going to get into it in a little bit, but there's a few teams in the West that I would say are definitely a step ahead at this current moment. And then there's a real glut that I think are in the middle that could end up pushing for the top mm-hmm. or you know, end up falling down into sort of that rebuilding category. And Kitchener is one of those teams. They've got some interesting pieces who could be used as trade chips. They're kind of in a year that could be used as a rebuilding year after having some veterans lead the lineup and, and some younger players moving in. But they do have a, a good group of OAs. Um, they have an interesting uh, defensive mix led by Hunter Bustavich. Or, um, and they've got Raykoff, obviously. They, they have some interesting pieces. It's just a matter of you know, how they come together under that new coach. And uh, as you said, preseason has been good. I know the feeling for a lot of people out West here is that the Western Hockey League might have more parity this year than they've had, than, than we've seen in recent years where there isn't one or two teams who just at this point seem head and shoulders above the pack. Are, are you getting that sense a little bit in the OHL too? Yeah, 100%. I think it's preseason prognostications in, in the CHL are always incredibly difficult yeah. because there's always a couple guys who surprise and make the NHL. There's always a couple guys who surprisingly get sent back, even as OAs, right? Teams decide not to send them to the AHL. They end up getting sent back. That changes the landscape of things. Um, there's always surprises. It's so difficult. Um, but I do think that parity is a great word to use. And uh, I look at really a solid group of, of seven or eight teams in the OHL who I think could end up being the best team in the league this year. And and usually I, I think that that number is, is a lot smaller. I think you have a really good idea of the teams that are going to be in the mix towards the end of the year for being in the Moral Cup hunt. And obviously with the OHL hosting this year in Saginaw, they're one of those teams. They're yeah. going to load up. You know they are because they're hosting. They've got a good young team. But they're going to bring in veterans to surround those younger players. 
Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these younger teams take that next step because there's some really good young teams in the OHL that could end up really surprising people. Uh, it's it's going to be probably the most difficult year that I can remember in the last decade to truly prognosticate. I know Saginaw has already started to address their their roster preparing to to host. They they add Will Bishop. They add add uh, Braden Hache. It would be crazy to think they're going to stand pat with what the roster is right now, right? And by by January tenth, there's going to be a lot more tinkering. Yeah, there's there's no chance they stand pat. Um, Bishop is kind of more of a depth piece. Braden Hache is a solid top four stay at home guy. So that that's a really big piece. He's somebody that they probably see maybe pairing with Zane Perak to allow him some offensive freedom. That'll be a really solid um, top four that they're building there. I, I think you're going to see them add uh, on the forward group once they see sort of how things line up uh, around some of those younger guys. Um, depending on how the goaltending goes to, that could be an option. Andrew Oak is taking over for Tristan Lennox. He's somebody who has uh, shown potential previously, but if he's not up to the task, I would assume that they – pull the trigger pretty early and trying to bring in a netminder. So, yeah, uh, very rarely do we see Memorial Cup hosts stand pat uh, from what they've got at the beginning of the year, and then Saginaw won't be any different. Last year we saw the Ottawa 67s lead the league basically from start to finish. It didn't help them in the playoffs, but are the Ottawa 67s going to take a step back this year, or are they going to be really competitive again? No, I would say that Ottawa and London are the two sort of top teams heading into the year, if I had to pick two. And, and the reason is they were both younger teams last year who kind of surprised people with how well they played. And Ottawa and London were both great. Uh, Ottawa obviously didn't have the kind of playoff success that they probably wanted. I, I don't know if that was necessarily shocking because they were a younger team and maybe a little bit ahead of their, their timeline. Um, and experience is so important in the playoffs. And I think that kind of caught up to them. So I think that, if anything, that's going to make them stronger this year because now they know what to expect. They've got that hunger. Um, they're one year more experienced, which makes all the difference uh, in the OHL. They're just as deep, just as talented as they were last year. Um, and this is a team that I think, especially since their division in the Eastern Conference is a little bit weaker. So they're going to have a chance to, to really uh, rack up wins this year. Uh, of the two between London and Ottawa, I think London has the better chance only because a division just a little bit weaker um, to lead the league and wins. Well, I know uh, some excitement for the Barry Colts and, and Colts fans. Uh, Edward Chalet, uh, just drafted, is signed and has been in camp in preseason, three points in two games thus far. I think that's a nice transition for that guy to make to North America, and a year at least in the OHL would be really beneficial. How do you feel? Yeah, I agree completely. I'm really happy that uh, Chalet and, and Casper Halton in, in London as well, right. um, the two of them made the choice to, to come to the OHL. I think they're going to be put in a situation to, to find a lot of success. They're going to get a ton of power play time. They're going to be playing with other really talented players. Halton is likely to suit up alongside uh, Easton Cowan and Denver Barkey on London's top line. And that's, that has the potential to be one of the best lines in the CHL, in my opinion. Um, Barry, we don't really know how they're going to deploy Chalet at this point. They've got some OAs that they've got to sort of sort out and, and how that kind of shakes down, but he's going to get a ton of ice time with some good players. Uh, I would expect both of these guys to be in the top 10, top 15 of scoring in the OHL by the end of the year. Well, your point about the uh, preseason predictions being hard, that it definitely is. 
but I'm going to ask you anyway, is there a, a team that's maybe flying under the radar a bit that you personally think, well, this is a team that really could surprise and, and finish a lot higher than the, the, maybe the general consensus is right now? Yeah, I think the two teams that stick out to me are, are two sort of younger teams that are going to look to take that next step. And they both are in the Eastern Conference, and that's Sudbury and Mississauga. Um, I think both of these teams are ready. It's just going to depend on the type of goaltending they get. That That's going to be the key. I think both of these teams are super talented. They're going to score a ton of goals. Um, and both these teams have decent defenses, too. It's just that goaltending. Sudbury's brought in um, an import player. We'll see how he plays. Mississauga is going with two super young guys. Ryerson Leanders and uh, Jack Ivankovic, who was uh, kind of touted as one of the best goaltenders to enter the OHL in recent years. They're probably going to platoon. Two young guys, you, you don't know how that situation is going to shake out. But both of these teams have top of the conference potential. In the West, I think the one team that people are sleeping on a little bit is Owen Sound. They don't really have, uh, well, I should say they do have Colby Barlow, who does have that star power. Mm-hmm. But other than Colby, they really don't have, you know, that star power that those high-end draft picks that some of the other teams in the OHL do have. But what they do have is a very uh, veteran-laden, better, very deep team, and that's going to go a long way. And uh, I think that they're a team in in the West that people are kind of sleeping on. I think that they're also a team that's kind of been built around this year. Um, they're another team that has some decisions to make with some really talented OAs. They're going to they're gonna have to pare down and, and figure out what they're doing with that. But, I, again, they could use those trade chips to try to bring in a player that's maybe like an 0-4, right? Trading an 0-3 for an 0-4. Um, that's something that we do see quite often in the CHL when teams are sort of in that uh, OA crunch, right? Brock Otten from McKean's is my guest. Uh, Brock, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about draft-eligible players uh, out of the OHL this season. I know three defensemen rank really high. Uh, for everybody uh, coming into the season, that would be Sam Dickinson from London, Henry Muse from Ottawa, and Zane Perek from Saginaw, who you touched on briefly already. But uh, maybe single out those guys uh, and tell me where you're expecting them. Like, are these all top 10 guys, top 20 guys? Uh, and what stands out about them? Yeah, I, I think heading into the year, they're all top 20 guys. And honestly, the defensive crop from the OHL this year from Ontario is just insane. It's one of the best that I can remember. It's, it's so strong. Um, we could have named, you know, a, a full dozen guys who have the potential to, to get drafted inside the first two rounds. Um, it's, it's, it's that deep, that strong. Um, I, I think it makes sense to start with Dickinson. He's somebody who I think can push for the top five, somebody who I think can push to be the top defensive player taken this year, the top defenseman taken in 2024. And it's because his game is so mature. He's got this big body, very mobile, solid both ways. But there's already this this maturity to his game. Uh, he, I, I, tr- I truly think that he could play in the NHL this year. I, I, don't, I honestly have no qualms about that. Wow. I think the way that he manages the puck, I think – physically he's he's so much stronger than other kids his age i think we saw that at the Holinka gretzky he just kind of took control uh whenever he was on the ice i felt like whenever he was on i I was never really afraid that canada was going to give up any sort of high-end chances and he's going to have a really good year in london i i think the only thing is sort of twofold firstly scouts are going to wish that he played the right side it's it's kind of the niche thing you know he's a left-handed shot there are some other defensemen that are right-handed heading in this draft who are just as highly touted. 
Um, so that's going to kind of go against him a little bit. I don't think it should, but it will. Um, and then the sort of offensive upside is going to be the, the big piece, you know, how well he plays in London offensively. I don't think there's going to be any question that he's somebody who can start a breakout. He's somebody who can play in his own end in the defensive or uh, at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what are we looking at offensively? Are we looking at, you know, a true number one, number two guy who can play in all situations, quarterback, a power play, or is he more of like a solid number three guy, number two guy to a really good number one who's, you know, maybe on the secondary power play unit, but can anchor the PK. I think that's going to be the differentiating factor is how well he plays offensively this year. Um, and then sort of leading into Henry Hughes, really talented offensive player, doesn't have the size per se that Dickinson does, um, but really good skater, really talented uh, with the puck. Uh, the big thing for him, and I, I think, again, I'm going to allude back to the Holinka Gretzky, but the big thing for him is the decision-making. You know, how, how well is he processing the game, especially now that he's put into a situation in Ottawa where he's going to be one of the lead backs, one of the guys that they're really, really leaning on um, to take that team to that next level. We saw sort of the difficulty that Cam Allen had last year with those same expectations in Guelph, right? right. We, I remember you and I chatted last year. Oh, Guelph is, is one of the teams to beat heading into the year. They've got Cam Allen quarterback in the power play. They've got some really good players up front. And Guelph ended up struggling, ended up rebuilding. Um, Cam Allen falls all the way in the draft to uh, fifth round. Um, I, I'm not you know, saying that's going to happen to Henry Muse. But decision-making is a big piece that he's going to have to work on this year. All eyes are going to be on him to, to fix some of those errors. And Zane Preck, uh, even more talented offensively, one of the most aggressive offensive defensemen that I've seen in the OHL. The fact that he set the new scoring, new goal-scoring record uh, among U17 defensemen in the OHL I think is a testament to just how talented offensively he is i mean he's going to put up points this year on a good saginaw team and all eyes are going to be on him because you know they're hosting memorial cup too mm-hmm. so it's going to be a long year for him the question is can he defend right uh, that's going to be the big thing is you know it can he show scouts that his sort of riverboat gambling tendencies can work at the NHL level, right? He's, he's very much sort of that new age hybrid defender. Who's very aggressive. Um, if you watch Saginaw play, it's not uncommon to see Zane Parekh on a breakaway. Um, that's how aggressive, that's how sort of nouveau thinking he is. And that, that works within Saginaw's system. They're a very forward thinking um, team and, and their management team is very forward thinking. They're, they're all about sort of um, working towards almost that positionless hockey, right? Constant free flow. And is that our scouts going to look at Prec and say, you know, this is a guy who can work within the system that we use in the NHL, or is he going to need something like that? Is he going to need to have his hand held? Can he defend? And that's going to be the big thing for him. Uh, sounds like a Olin Zellweger, Kale McCarr type of player. Right. Yeah, exactly. Same sort of, same sort of concept. Right. And, and Olin's going to have the same sort of issues this year turning pro, right? The, right. the eye, the microscope's going to be on him. Uh, to see how well he defends at the pro level. I don't think it's obviously going to be at the NHL level. He's, he's going to have to marinate in the NHL a little bit, especially given their depth uh, on a solid young team. I would say probably Pavel Minchikov's ahead of him, at least physically uh, anyway. But uh, yeah, Parekh is, is sort of cut from that same cloth. 
Anyone else that's draft eligible that you want to give a mention to before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, uh, or at least I mentioned that there was a lot of good defenders, but yeah. um, I would say that probably the top forward heading into the year is uh, Beckett Seneca. Uh, he plays for Oshawa. He's a wing. He actually wasn't named to the Gretzky team, yeah. which was very shocking to pretty much everyone I chatted with in the industry. Um, I don't think there's any red flags or anything regarding that. It was just a decision where they were sort of unhappy with how he played at the U-17s, um, went sort of with some different players that they felt could fill in sort of more like a third and fourth line roles as we typically see with Hockey Canada, right? Um, but he's a really intelligent playmaking winger, um, really good all-around offensive game, uh, has a good frame too, 6'2 frame, so pretty much everything you're looking for in a, in a modern-day winger. The only thing is the skating. That's going to be the big thing that scouts are going to focus on this year. Um, not to say that he's a poor skater, but it's definitely not a strength either. So can that take that next step? That's going to be the big focus. Well, you're right. I mean, he had he was almost a point-per-game player last year as a underage rookie, and that's that's pretty impressive. That is a little surprising that he was not part of uh, the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Yeah, and I, and I mean – they did it different this year, right? Um, without that sort of training camp that we've been used to, yeah. where they have those really competitive scrimmages, budget cuts obviously took that away. And I personally hated that because I loved watching that camp. Um, it was really good, high-level hockey, very competitive. And it, it also gave you know people like myself, uh, as a scouting director at McKean's, an opportunity to see some of the growth yeah. in, in some of these players um, over the summer facing off against some of the best in their age group, right? Um, because some of these players grow so much. Uh, Cole Baudouin is a perfect example of that. I, I know you asked for just one name, but here's a guy that when I saw that Lincoln Gretzky Cup list and Cole Baudouin was on it, I was thinking, man, this is a guy that really struggled in his rookie OHL season. Like that was a name that stuck out to me being like, wow, okay, they're, they're going with him over like at Seneca mm-hmm. or some of the players from the USHL who they didn't end up selecting like Michael Hag, um, Sasha Boisvoir. There were some really high-end guys that they left off that roster. And he ended up being one of Canada's best players. And it's obvious that he's put in the work over the summer to become such a, a more impactful player. So that's why I was very disappointed that they, they didn't go with that camp because you really get an opportunity to see which players uh, have put in that work. Yeah, I agree completely. Lots can change physically with guys and uh, with their development at that age level, uh, for sure. Hey, Brock, this was terrific. I really appreciate your time. Looking forward to the start of the OHL season and uh, having you on the Pipeline Show again throughout this uh, this year, if you don't mind. Absolutely, man. Anytime. There is Brock Otten from McKean's, who uh, gives us a preview of the upcoming season in the Ontario Hockey League. I like that there's some parity. I like that it's going into the season, there isn't a clear-cut favorite. I think that makes it more exciting. Uh, uh, listen, I'll be honest. I think Saginaw will eventually become that team. I, I don't know that. I don't know the rosters nearly as well as Brock does. But because they're hosting, you know they're going to be making adjustments and adding some high-caliber players as the year goes on. Maybe they're from teams who right now don't know that they're not going to be in it. Maybe they're taking a wait and see. Uh, but once uh, the season gets, you know, one, two, three months in, teams make adjustments, and I'm sure Saginaw will be adding some firepower to what's already a pretty good roster. That's the scene in the OHL. We uh, touched on the queue in the first segment. 
Next up, we're going to uh, start looking ahead to the upcoming NCAA season, and the NCHC conference is in the spotlight next. With the help of Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald and the Rink Live, he is up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Matthew Woods, part of the University of Connecticut. Power play is over. Teams are five aside. Sent out front. Score! The freshman, Matthew Wood, and UConn has finally dented the brick wall that is Jakob Dobush. I'm here with the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Now that is a man who has eaten a lot of beef. We are back on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, but this is an NCAA Campus Report segment, uh, and those, of course, uh, our friends at College Hockey, Inc. Uh, deserve a shout-out for those. If you're a player or you have one in your family, you need to know what you are and aren't allowed to do, things you, you have to uh, prevent yourself from doing or... Uh, lots of rules uh, when it comes to the NCAA. So get in contact with College Hockey, Inc. and uh, make sure that they answer any questions that you might have. Uh, we are going to talk some college hockey, and uh, we're going to focus on the NCHC conference, which uh, for a lot of people they would consider to be the uh, number one conference in the NCAA. But uh, that's up for debate. Hockey East is really strong. Of course, the national champions uh, right now coming from the ECAC. Maybe we'll ask my next guest. Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well. Good to chat with you. That means hockey season's near. We were just talking about it. it's uh, mid-October when the puck drops for real. There'll be some exhibition games and, and things like that ahead of that. Uh, but then it gets uh, serious. And I said the NCHC, arguably the number one conference. That's not a stretch to say, is it? Well, I think over the 10 years that uh, since realignment, I, I think you know the NCHC has been the, the country's dominant conference. If you look at uh, interconference records and if you look at national titles, mm-hmm. uh, it has certainly been that way. Does that guarantee you it's going to be that way next year or the year after? It does not. Um, things change in sports. Things are cyclical. Right now, uh, I think that's a fair statement. Um, but there are certainly other leagues that are going to be uh, knocking at the door trying to take that title. Yeah, it's always competitive, that's for sure. Uh, you can follow Brad on uh, Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days, at Schlossman GF, the GF would be Grand Forks. Uh, now you're cover- you've been covering North Dakota for how many years now? Yeah, so this is going to be 19, if uh, my math is right. Man, that means we're getting old. Uh, that's it for does. Sure. But you know when you have guys go through the university and onto the NHL and are now retired, that you're getting old. Yeah, I was just looking at it. There are very few guys from the first team I covered that are still playing professionally. Yeah. 
Um, there are a couple guys over in Europe. We'll see if Jonathan Taves ends up coming back. Uh, TJ Oshie's still going with the Capitals, but it, it's dwindling. All right, well, let's get to it. Uh, I saw that the um, media poll and the coaches poll came out for the NCHC, and uh, exactly the same at the number one, the number two, and the number eight, but a wild swing between the media and the coaches poll. Is that how it usually happens, or do the coaches see it differently than the media all the time? Well, I, you know, I, I think in the NCHC this year, when I look at the, the league, um, you know, I, I voted in the media poll. I couldn't even tell you what I voted right now. Um, uh, you know, I, I have an idea of um, the top and the bottom of where I'm going to go. Um, but, you know, I do a preseason section and, you know, it might be different than what I voted because uh, I think the league is really, really close. This is probably this year and last year are the two years that I've had the toughest time picking spots for teams. I really feel like there's a team I could pick in seventh that has a legit shot at finishing second in the league. I could pick second that finishes seventh. I just, I don't think there's going to be a ton of separation this year. Well, since you said you voted in the media poll, I can tell you that your number one choice was either Denver or North. North Dakota because they're the only two that receive first place votes. Denver does get first place in both polls, uh, but it was uh, 19 of 23 votes in the preseason poll. Uh, does that sound right for you? Did you pick Denver or North Dakota? Do you remember? I, I did pick Denver. Um, I think they're the team with the least number of question marks. You know, they do have to replace Magnus Krona in goal. Um, up front, you know, they have there are four centers back from last year, which is uh, huge. You know, I think they have a good top six. I think they have depth. Um, you know, they have Sean Behrens and Shibuyam to anchor the back end, who are both uh, veterans and excellent players. They are going to have some new faces on defense, and they are going to have a new goalie. Matt Davis played quite a bit at the end of last year when Magnus Krona got hurt, so he does have experience, but... Um, I think they're the team uh, with the fewest question marks. Um, that being said, do I think like there's a hundred percent they're finishing first? There's no way anyone else could finish first. I don't. I, I think there, there are teams that that could rise up and challenge Denver. Um, I just I voted them one. I think they have the least number of question marks. Well, and I know they they've got a lot of offensive punch as well. And in uh, in last season, when it comes to team statistics. I think Maximo Rizzo was, yeah, Rizzo led them in scoring 46 points, and he's back this year. I know they they lose Carter Mazur, um, but mm-hmm. they, there's there's still a lot of secondary scoring if you consider behind Rizzo. There is, you know, I, I think you know they they returned Tristan Bros and Jack Devine, and at the end of the year, that's who Rizzo was playing with. Yeah, um, you know, Aiden Thompson had a really good freshman year, and he he'll be centering the second line. He could have wingers like McCade Webster and Jared Wright, uh, both really good players. You know, Carter King and Connor Capone both were centers there. Um, there, there are certain guys that are going to get larger roles. Rieger Lorenz did not play a whole lot. Uh, did, did, you know, I should rephrase that. He played quite a bit. He didn't see a lot of minutes. He was playing fourth line. He's a guy that's going to get more minutes this year, second-round pick of the Wild. Um, you know, they're going to bring in Sam Harris and – and Miko Matika from uh, the USHL, and both those guys had great years, and they'll be able to ease them into the lineup. So up front, you're right. They have a lot of firepower. Lorenz is interesting because he had such a dominant year in the Alberta Junior Hockey League 
the year previous mm-hmm. to his freshman year. And then really not a lot of production at Denver for the reasons that you outlined. And I have to remind myself, he didn't turn 18 until March. So, I mean, he was one of the, or 19 yeah. until March. He played as a, uh, an 18-year-old freshman for all, most of the season, which these days yeah. doesn't happen all that often, right? Yeah. And, and, and the other thing, he's like, he's a big bodied guy. And a lot of times in college hockey, those guys take longer before they pop. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of examples like a, a Chris Vandevelde. People may remember, uh, uh, Oilers guy. Sure. Uh, he was a guy that, you know, had minimal goals his freshman year, not that many his sophomore year. And then he popped as an upperclassman. Um, you know, there is a, a big kid for Denver, and I'm drawing a blank on his name now. He was a first-round pick, uh, power forward, like 6'6", six, six, uh, about a decade ago, and he took a little bit longer to to pop, and when he did, he was dominant. Um, I, I think when I watched Rieger Lorenz play in the for Okotoks, uh, that's what I had visions of. This is a guy who is going to be – he is a pro-style player, and is going to be a very good college player, but it might take till he's up till he's an upperclassman till he really pops. Well, North Dakota has a guy like that too, very much in the same vein of a AJHL guy who had a great season in his last year of that league. Uh, that would be Dylan James, who was also a second round pick. Yeah. Didn't really light the lamp all that much last year, yeah. but again, the freshman on a deep team, you kind of got to bide your time a little bit in some cases. For sure. Oh, the, the guy's name I was trying to think of is Joe Coburn. It finally came to me. Oh, another AJHL guy. Nice, nice tie-in. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Dylan James. Uh, he, you know, he was a young guy that came in, and um, you know, I thought he had some growing pains, especially early in the year, and then at the end, uh, a light bulb kind of came on that he figured out he is just faster than everyone else. Um, and he really, he, he's such an explosive skater and you can see why Detroit drafted him in the second round. And all of a sudden he started really using that to his advantage. He was blowing by guys on the wing on rushes. Um, he, he causes a lot of havoc for checking because he gets on guys so quick with his skating. Um, you know, he's a guy I'm guessing the, the wings pencil in as a third, fourth line type of guy, just a guy that has tons of speed that has some skill and can play that type of role in college. I think he's going to have a bigger role as he, as he gets older, but um, yeah, his speed is just such a factor. Since we're talking about North Dakota, might as well stick with them and, and guys like Jackson Blake and Reese Gaber, they're all back, right? So, I mean, this is another, uh, should be another strong season offensively for the, uh, the fighting Hawks. They have a lot of weapons up front. Um, You know, Jackson Blake is back and he's, he had just an unbelievable freshman year. He's incredibly skilled, smart, creative, and they have essentially a Jackson Blake 2.0 coming in this year. Uh, Jaden Perron, the freshman forward uh, from Winnipeg, uh, looks very similar to Jackson Blake, and he is going to have a fantastic freshman year. And both those guys are kind of more pass-first guys. Reese Gaber likes to shoot the puck. He is going to get a lot of scoring chances playing with those guys. Uh, and Cameron Berg, a transfer from Omaha, an Islanders fourth rounder, he likes to shoot the puck as well. And so they have some really good matches there with some guys who like to pass first a little bit and other guys that can finish. So um, up front, you know, North Dakota is really loaded this year. Is there a concern for UND? 
It's the back end. They have eight new defensemen. They don't have a single guy coming back from last year's team. Wow. Um, you know, how are these guys going to mesh? Uh, they have new goaltenders. Uh, they have a transfer from Miami and Ludwig Persson. Uh, they brought in Hobie Hedquist from the BCHL. Uh, how are those guys going to go? You know, there's just so many mysteries on the back end um, on what the, the new crop of players are going to look like. So that is North Dakota's question. If if the defense and goaltending hold, they're going to be really good because their forwards are fantastic. And if they can get the puck up to them, they're going to score. If If those guys struggle, then you know, their forwards might not get the puck as much as, uh, as the UND wants them to. So that's the big question. How uh, Can those guys hold up? Nice sleeper pick for the uh, Golden Knights, though, when it comes to defensemen uh, a couple of years back. Seventh-round pick, Abram Weeb out of the BCHL, mm-hmm. who had, in his draft year, 31 points in 54 games as a defenseman. That's pretty good. He was a point-per-game guy and the captain last year for the Chilliwack Chiefs. Those are impressive numbers. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing expectations are he's going to be one of the the go-to guys on a very young back end at UND. You know, I think he's the guy who ha- has a shot to play top four minutes right away. Yeah, he, I think he did himself uh, a lot of favors by going back to the BCHL last year and not coming in. He, he was able to develop a little bit, like you said, um, be a leader on that Chilliwack team. He ended up winning the BCHL Defenseman of the Year award. Uh, and if you look at the history of guys who have won that, it's pretty impressive. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to, the, the last North Dakota guy to win that was Troy Stetcher. And obviously he had a great career here winning a national title and going on to the NHL. Um, Abram Weeb is a, a bigger guy. And, uh, you know, I, I've been impressed by his, his feet are better than I thought they were. He's got some mobility. He's, he's got some deception from the back end. He's not just a six, two shutdown guy. Um, I, I would not expect to see a ton of that offense as a freshman. You don't see that a ton from freshman defensemen, but when he's an upperclassman, he's going to be a do-it-all type of guy. Before we move off of North Dakota, a new uh, a coach on the bench, uh, and uh, former mm-hmm. captain Dylan Simpson. Uh, maybe I don't know if there's a similarity at all from what you've seen with Weeb so far and Dylan Simpson, but you know, I thought of Dylan Simpson as that sort of a, a similar to the way you're describing Weeb. Uh, when I saw Dylan at the Alberta Junior Hockey League level, um, do you see a, a comparison between them? And, and if so, at all, how does that help a guy like Weeb having Simpson there now as a coach? Well, I think, uh, you know, UND went into the, for those that don't know, the NCAA passed a new rule where now you can have three full-time assistant coaches. So everyone got to go out and hire, if their athletic department let them, got to go out and hire a third assistant coach. Uh, UND made it a priority to hire a guy to coach the defenseman. Uh, they have Dane Jackson, who is a forward. They have Carl Gehring, who played goalie. They wanted to get a defenseman in there. Uh, Dylan Simpson uh, decided to retire from playing to uh, take this position. He's got a big role in, in molding these uh, eight new defensemen, and four of them are freshmen, four are transfers, and he's going to start developing the, the freshman defensemen. Um, you know, we'll see uh, how Weeb ends up comparing style-wise to, to Simpson. Um, Dylan was a really, really smart player, uh, and, you know, he got uh, everything out of uh, what he had. Mm-hmm. You know, he he wasn't an explosive skater, 
Um, but he, he was just a, you know, he turned into a great shutdown defenseman by his senior year when he was the captain of the team. And, um, if, if Abram Weave can have a career like Dylan Simpson, you and you would be pretty happy about that. Number three in the media poll is a Minnesota Duluth. Do you remember where you put them? You know, the Duluth, I, I can't remember where I put them offhand. I might've put them somewhere around fifth or maybe sixth. And, and as I start doing more, I'm putting together potential line charts for these teams. And the more I look at their lineup, the more I like them a little bit. And I'm going to move them up, I think. Um, You know, uh, up front, I think they've got some pretty good forwards. Uh, Blake Biondi was hurt last year. Right. Uh, That was a big injury to them. He was a a goal scorer. Uh, Ben Steves is a goal scorer. They got two guys who are just pure goal scorers on their team. And you don't have a lot of those guys these days. Um, you know, they, they got Connor McMenamin out of the transfer portal from Penn State. I think he's going to add to their offense. Quinn Olson, Dominic James are back um, up front. I, you know, I, I think they have a pretty good group of forwards. I, I really think Zach Stasekel is going to have a big bounce back in net this year. He had a tough year last year. I think he's going to, uh, you know, but the thing with him is we've seen it. It's not like he's a guy that, you know, you're just guessing is going to be good. We've seen him be really good at the college level. I think he bounces back. Their question is on the back end. They have some solid players. I don't know if they have any true difference makers like Wyatt Kaiser was last year for them. Right. Um, can Owen Gallatin be that guy? Can he step up as, as an older player into a bigger role? Um he he may be a guy that can do it. Um, how big of an impact can Aaron Pionk have? The Minnesota Wild draft pick. Uh, uh, Pionk is a guy who was committed to Minnesota State Mankato. They had a coaching change this summer. He uh, decided to reopen his commitment and ended up at Minnesota Duluth. That was a huge piece for the Bulldogs because uh, he will be one of their best defensemen. So, you know, I, I think there are questions exactly where is are their defensemen going to be? Um but overall, you know, I think this is a team that's pretty good up front. And as long as their D are solid, which I think they will be, I think they're going to be a tough team to beat. All right. I should point out uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I had completely screwed up the coaches and media poll. Uh, the link that I clicked on that said media poll uh, or coaches poll rather ended up being last year's media poll. So I had this year's and last year's media poll in front of me. Um, so forget everything I've said. Denver is uh, ranked number one coming in by the media with 11 first-place votes, although North Dakota got 12. Overall, they got fewer points, so it's still Denver, North Dakota, 1-2. Minnesota Duluth, who we were just talking about, is actually fifth. St. Cloud is the team that's in third. Uh, Western Michigan is fourth, but both both of those programs got two first-place votes. So to your point, the parity this year seems to be there. Like, There's a pretty good argument for... For several teams, go to St. Cloud and tell me what you like about the Huskies. I, you know, you, when you start out with uh, two defensemen like Dylan Anhorn and Jack Peart, that's a really good place to start. Anhorn might have been on his way to winning MVP of the conference last year. Uh, he suffered a season-ending injury while warming up before a game in January. Uh, the Huskies were a completely different team after he went out. Just a massive loss. Uh, he came back. He had some offers that he weighed. He decided to come back. He, he's really good. Um, Jack Peart uh, really emerged last year, I thought. You have two really good defensemen there. 
they have other guys that have played Josh Ludicky, Cooper Wiley, um, Carl Falk that transfer from uh, Alaska Fairbanks. So I, I think their D is solid there. Their big question mark is at center. Who is going to be their top six centers? Hmm. Um, Yami Cranola was outstanding last year for them, and, and he's gone. Grant Crookshank was outstanding for them, and he's gone. Who is going to jump up and fill those spots? They've got VT Mietnin and Zach Okabe on their top line at wing. They need someone to play between them. Um, maybe it's Adam Ingram. Uh, they plan on moving him to center, the Nashville Predators pick from Manitoba. Um, you know, he's probably going to get the shot, big 6'3 guy. Um, Mason Salquist, uh, maybe he gets a top six look. It's. That is the big question. Or maybe it's Barrett Hall, the Seattle Kraken draft pick, is going to be a freshman this year. But that's a lot to ask out of a freshman right. to play top six centers. So um, on D, they have some really good pieces. They have some experienced wingers that have scored a lot. But do they have a fit at center? That's the question for them. Other question I had for St. Cloud was after – uh, Dominic Bassey is in net, and I th- yeah. think this might be his first year where he's actually the number one guy by himself because it's been a platoon system yeah. last year at St. Cloud and the two previous years at CC for him. Is this yeah. the year he finally gets to be that number one guy and, and play 30 games? Yeah, I, I think he'll get a chance to be that guy. Um, you know, that's the other question, which uh, Dominic Bassey shows up. Is it, uh, you know, first half of last year, he was unbelievable. His his numbers were, um, you know, probably numbers that couldn't be duplicated. Mm. They were that good. Um, and, and of course, they, his numbers fell back a little in the second half. Part of that is due to, you know, normal regression. When you're putting up a 940, it's probably going to go back unless you're Devin Levi. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, is he, you know, like you said, can he handle the 30 games? Can he be the guy and play at a consistent level. We've seen his top end, and it's really good. Can he get to that top end for 30 games? That's, I, I think that's the, uh, the other question for Dominic Bassey. Brad Schlossman, my guest, a longtime uh, reporter covering the NCAA and the NCHC uh, and uh, UND in particular. Uh, the next club, uh, ranked number four, is Western Michigan. Uh, I know this is a, a team that has, well, it's been a transitional last couple of years, but they've had some high-impact players uh, that have uh, moved on. But they've also got some incoming freshmen that are of note as well. When you look at the Broncos, what stands out to you? Well, I think their their D is what really stands out uh, as their strength. They, they return uh, five of their six D. The only one they lost was Aiden Fulp. Um, he, that, that is a loss. He's a really good player. But they also have a Dallas Stars pick, Samuel Scholand who was ruled ineligible last year. Well, he was actually got a 39-game suspension. He played in a pro league <laughs> during the COVID year. So the NCAA uh, gave him initially 42 games. They lowered it to 39 on appeal. Well, Western Michigan played 39 games last year. Exactly. Wow. So he is eligible game one. And so they replace Aiden Falp with a guy who's already been on campus for a year, who's a you know fourth round draft pick. So you know when you look at having Sholand uh, slot in with Carter Berger, Zach Galambos, you know Cedric Field, Fiedler, 
Jacob Bauer. Uh, they have some really good defensemen. Um, they, they lost uh, up front. They lost their big top line: Ryan McAllister, Jason Poland, and Max Sasson. All three of them signed. Yep. Those guys accounted for a lot of points. Um, but Western did a great job in the transfer portal finding guys that could come in and replace them. They went and got Sam Colangelo, a second round pick from for the Anaheim Ducks. He can come in and slot at center. They got Ethan Phillips, the Red Wings pick. They got Matteo Costantini, a Buffalo Sabres pick. They got Joe Cassetti, a six four center um from Miami. And then late in the summer, Vermont has a coaching change and they go and add Alex Bump, the Flyers draft pick. So Western, when you're looking at it a week after the season ends and they lose those top three guys and you pencil in their lineup up front, you're thinking they're going to have trouble scoring. Well, you know, a couple months later that those line charts look a lot better right now. For sure. Um, they really did a good job filling some of the holes they had. Just out of curiosity, a guy like Sholand who missed all last year or had to sit out all last year, but was on campus. Does a guy like that get to practice with the team? Can he be around the team? He did, yeah. There, there are different, uh, you know, there are scenarios where guys can and can't practice. Um, he could practice. So he was he was around the team. He practiced, you know. Um, that, you know, I think that helps uh, his transition. Yeah, that should be a really smooth for him. You can just uh, sl- slide right in, notice yeah. the systems and everything. Coach is familiar, so exactly. that should work out. Exactly. All right, the 6, 7, and 8 teams are Omaha, Colorado College, and Miami. Miami, not really a surprise. They really seem to have not been able to keep up uh, with everybody else in the conference. Can you see Omaha or, or CC really pushing the the, uh, the top five teams? I definitely can see Omaha. O- Omaha's the one where... Uh, you pencil them in and you say that could look really bad at the end of the year. Um, you know, when I look at their back end, it's really solid. Uh, they've got Joe LeMay, uh, Jacob Gavin, both had really good freshman years. I think Joe LeMay is going to be a, a high end D man at the college level. Uh, Victor Mancini, a big six foot four shutdown D Rangers pick. Um, He's back. They've got veterans like Nolan Krenzen, Kirby Proctor. Um, they got Noah, the Vegas tra- uh, Golden Knights draft pick Noah Ellis out of the transfer portal. Uh, you know they're really deep at D. They've got they've got uh, shutdown guys. They've got guys that can run power plays. I think that's a great decor. Simon Latkozy in net had a tremendous freshman season last year. Mm-hmm. So you have a goalie set. You have a great decor. Um, they have some questions up front, uh, but you know, a lot of times I, I think teams with great D uh, are the ones that win because uh, you know they can hold scores down. And you know when your when your forwards have the puck in the offensive zone a lot because your D are great at transitioning it, they're going to score. So that is a team that I think you know uh, you put them in the bottom half of the league, you're you're also cringing when you do it because it could look really bad. Um, Colorado College, Colorado College is coming. Uh, are they there yet this year? That's my question. Like, I look at their recruiting class last year, this year, and the one coming in next year, mm-hmm. and it's among the best in the NCHC. Um, it's also hard to win when you're asking underclassmen to lead you in college hockey, unless it's, you know, 
Logan Cooley or, um, uh, you know, Adam Fantilli, yeah. you know, the, those guys are, can do it as freshmen. Some guy, a lot, most guys can't, um, the guys they're bringing in, I think are going to be outstanding college hockey players. I just don't know if they're going to carry them offensively this year. Like, you know, Noah Laba had a great year. He's going to be a sophomore first line center. You know, he could be playing with Ryan Beck, Brett Link, a sophomore freshman. Gleb Vremiev is a, a big physical winger. Um, he's a sophomore that missed most of last year. Zachariah Wisdom, they're bringing in a Seattle Kraken draft pick. He's a freshman. Uh, you know, you look up and down their lineup uh, up front, and it is freshman, sophomore, sophomore, freshman. So it, they're doing a great job recruiting. Um, if they don't score a lot quite this year, right. I wouldn't be alarmed if I'm a Tiger fan. It's coming. You know, it's just a matter of when is it coming. Um, I put them seventh this year just because I think the other teams in the league are really good. And I don't know if the offense is going to be there quite yet. But if it is and they get some scoring, look for CC to jump up the standings. I was a little surprised to see Caden Embarico as the preseason uh, all-conference yeah. team uh, uh, nominee, I guess, or the, the person singled out. Uh, because I, I thought it would be Dominic Bassey for the reasons that we already talked about. But is it fair to say that Embarico might be Colorado's best player? I think that's fair to say, for sure. He, he was he was tremendous last year. Um, you know, I, I think the reason Embarico would you know, get the nod over Bassey, Embarico uh, carried the load down the year, uh, down uh, the stretch of last year. He brought them to the NCHC title game. This was a CC team that just really struggled to score last year, and he held them in every game. He was really, really good. Um, and maybe one of the best parts for uh, CC fans and their staff, he's like five foot 11. Yeah. And that means the NHL is not going to become calling for him after this year. Um, or I don't know if, I don't think they will. You know, the NHL looks at size so, so much yeah. when you're projecting goalies and he's not huge but um that could be great news for cc that he may stick around longer than had he been six foot four all right and lastly it would be miami is there anything of note really to look forward to with the red Hawks? i i know that their goaltender from last year was kind of their highlight and now he's mm-hmm. in und yeah when, when i look at their roster i i see a bunch of really solid players but i don't see enough difference makers in in the nchc you need a couple guys when it's a tie game in the third period that someone's going to make a play and i don't know if they have enough guys um you know matthew barbellini uh, is a, a very good player for them i think pj fletcher has potential to be that guy he's probably got to be a little bit more consistent to to truly be a difference maker in, in the nchc night in and night out um, but I just don't know if they have enough of them to get up over these other teams. These other teams have, you know, Miami's, to me, when I look at their roster, they have a lot of third-line players, hmm. and you need a couple guys that, you know, especially when you get a power play, you need a guy that scares the other team. You know, maybe Axel Kumlin on the back end scared a few teams last year because he has a bomb from the back end, but, you know... Uh, that, that's my question. Do they, do they have enough difference makers to overcome any of those teams? 
Um, they're going to need a couple guys to break out. They're really going to need Barbellini and P.J. Fletcher to, to be big-time players. Brad, it'll be interesting. This time next year, we'll be talking about Arizona State in the mix as yep. well. I wonder, can you tell already how that will change the complexion of the conference? You know, it, it, the scheduling will change. So fans will get used to, you know, have to get used to a little bit different scheduling setup with, with a, another team. Um, you know, nine teams in the league, you're not going to have every single team the, down the stretch. Every team's playing every weekend. You have eight teams. That's not going to be the case um, in, in the future. So there's going to be some scheduling things. Um, you know, I think some fans are, are really looking forward to taking road trips to Arizona in the middle sure. of winter to go watch their team play hockey. <laughs> Um, but no, you know, I think overall, I think there's quite a bit of excitement about ASU coming into the league. Uh, that that's the general sentiment I've heard from from fans and and other teams. With the odd number though, making it nine, and you talked about some of the challenges mm-hmm. that creates. Does the NCHC look to, at a tenth team, or do, would, is it more likely that we see one of those nine leave, like Miami, and go to the CCHA or something like that to get down to eight again? What what would you think is more likely? You know, Miami has made overtures in the past uh, publicly about potentially leaving the league. Um, at the league meetings in April, Miami did not push the issue or bring it up at all. Uh, that being said, you know, I think the NCHC members uh, are in, let's make sure Miami isn't leaving. Let's make sure that they're not going to... Uh, jump to a different league because if you add a 10th team and then poof Miami's gone now you're back at nine again right. and, and I think you know even though at this point Miami uh, this summer they were certainly committed and made no effort to leave the league I think they just want to really make sure um, I don't think they want to go out and grab a team just to grab a team would they rather be at 10 or 8 yes but I think they're going to be careful, and they're going to. That, that's kind of the way they've operated from the start. And uh, if they find a team that's right, I think they'll add them. Uh, but I don't think they're going to go out and um, grab a team just to get to an even number. That that might be the wrong team. If if they add a team, it's going to be a team they think is uh, the right fit. Brad, is there a weekend or a, a matchup this season that you already have circled on the calendar? Is there one event that you're looking forward to the most? Well, I think every any any time North Dakota and Minnesota play, that's uh, the biggest game in college hockey that weekend. Uh, it's just a, a really great rivalry, and those teams. Uh, I don't know how many times you watch a North Dakota Minnesota game and they don't deliver. Uh, those games are almost always uh, classics. They played twice last year. Both games went to overtime. Each team won one. And if that's not typical North Dakota, Minnesota hockey, I don't know what is. Um, It's just such uh, great hockey when they play. Uh, It's intense. Uh, The fans really enjoy it. And and the players, uh, you know, over the years, it's it's incredible how often the players have delivered uh, for the fans when that rivalry is played. Uh, and that will be played October 21st and 22nd in Grand Forks. All right, so that's uh, you don't have to wait long, and you don't have to travel too far. No. That's perfect. No, a lot of uh, home games for North Dakota to start. Uh, the icebreaker opens it up, Army in Wisconsin. Uh, Mike Hastings' era begins uh, 
you know, here at uh, in the icebreaker for uh, the Badgers. So that'll be another really, uh, really good weekend. Right. Awesome. Brad, this is terrific. Great to catch up once again. Uh, I'm sure I'll call you a couple of times during the course of the year as well, if you don't mind. Anytime, Guy. Thanks for having me. There's Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald and also from the Rink Live, who did a great job previewing the NCHC, as opposed to me, who blew it. Oh my gosh, I was, I'm was i so embarrassed. I'm still embarrassed. I really apologize to Brad at the end after we stopped recording. Uh, because there there was no coaches poll. I, I'm pretty sure it was the women's NCHE coaches poll. Uh, there's a media poll for the men, and I think it's a coaches poll for the women. And I completely screwed that up. So my apologies. Don't listen to what I said in the first third of that interview. Just focus on what Brad said because his info was great and mine was junk. God, I hate when I screw up like that. And I wasn't. Sometimes I make a little mistake and I'm able to fix it. When I edit the uh, the interview, uh, not this time. That would that would have been a lot of editing. So I have to live with my mistake. Well, another guy who doesn't make a lot of mistakes is Perry Bergson. He writes for the Brandon Sun. I'm going to have an extended conversation with Perry as we talk about how both of us see the Western Hockey League's Eastern Conference. We'll do that to close out this week's episode of the Pipeline Show next here on the program. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Feist off the boards to center. Now over the blue line, Bedard. High slot, drag. What a move, Bedard. Through the legs. Scores! What a beautiful goal by Connor Bedard in Calgary. Holy smokes. I'm Connor Bedard to the Regina Pass, and this is the Pipeline Show. Done. Buddy, want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Will Hawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Will Hawk beef jerky, because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Want to go, pretty boy? Final segment to go on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it at wilhockbeefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada. Uh, we're going to end this week's show looking at the Eastern Conference of the Western Hockey League uh, through the eyes of one of the guys who covers the league. As good as you could possibly hope. Uh, so much in-depth, even in, let's say, the middle of July, Perry Bergson is churning out WHL content, uh, specifically with the Brandon Weekings. But, Perry, you do such a great job covering the Western Hockey League. I have to get you on the show if we're going to do a, a Eastern Conference preview. How's things? They are great, other than uh, we might be in the middle of talking about the Moose Jaw Warriors forward group, and it'll sound like a... Badger and a Wolverine are fighting beside me. I've got two four-month-old puppies, all because Florida lost the Stanley Cup. Hang on. Explain how that's connected. <laughs> I actually went to uh, Kelly McCrimmon's Stanley Cup party, and his sister-in-law runs the Humane Society here in Brandon. And she said, Perry, uh, we have a puppy for you to look at. Well, famous last words. We ended up taking two brothers. So 
we have kind of a beautiful chaos in our house right now. Oh, that's funny. Well, this could end up being a long segment, so we should probably get right to it. And we're, what you and I are going to do is kind of go through the, the Eastern Conference. And, and maybe I'm going to frame it this way. There were 12 teams in the conference last year. One of them is now in the East. Uh, that means there's only three teams that missed the playoffs. Maybe we'll start with this question. Of the four teams that missed the playoffs last year in the conference, who do you think is most likely to get in this year? Um, well, this sounds like the Homer answer, but probably Brandon. Homer. In Nate Danielson's 19-year-old year. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, Nate Danielson might be the most complete player in the league this year. I think there's a chance of that. And I'm not talking strictly points. I'm talking about 200 feet. I've never seen an elite player come back and make defensive plays to break up odd man rushes or things like that as often as he did. Um, he really is that good. It's interesting that Steve Eiserman drafted him, isn't it? Yeah, it's really evolved to be that kind of a player at the NHL level. I know when he first broke into the league, Eiserman was all about the flash and the eye and the offense, but certainly rounded out his game as his career went. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, he ended up being such a good two-way player, and I think that's sort of what Nate Danielson prides himself on. So uh, I think the Wheat Kings would be bereft if he did not come back this year. Well, Perry, the way I see the conference, I, I have three teams sort of as the vanguard at the top of the conference. I don't think there's a whole lot that separates those three teams. And then there's sort of a, a, a middle pack of five or six that are going to be all scrapping for home ice advantage in the first round slash making the playoffs at all. And then a couple of teams that I think are still on the outside looking in for sure. For me, those three teams. Can I guess? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Sure. Who are the three teams at the top? Red Deer, Saskatoon, and Moose Jaw. That's, that's exactly what I have written down. I'm glad we agree already. Well, let's see. Of those three, who, who do you think is the top? Red Deer. Okay. Yeah, they just have enough guys back. Uh, they've got depth everywhere. It's, and just the way they play. They've always played so hard. You know, when a team is playing the Red Deer Rebels, it's never going to be an easy night at the rink. Mm -hmm. And that is actually something the Wheat Kings have talked a lot about trying to get into their game this year is being hard to play against. And that's just the epitome of the Red Deer Rebels, isn't it? It really is. And I do like the acquisition of uh, of 20-year-old player Carson Latimer for them because I think one thing that maybe was a critique of them last year was that they're big and skilled but not necessarily quick. And that's something that he brings is that uh, that's that high-speed attribute to the the Rebels' forward group at least. Uh, I do have some thoughts about their their blue line. I mean, it's very it's veteran now for sure. Uh, I wonder how much it, it changes not having Christopher Setoff back there because I think that changes their dynamic a little bit. But overall, that defense is still big and and experienced. Oh, absolutely! That is such a good group. Um, I think the thing that I like about them is how hard they are in front of the net. As a former goalie, of course, I'm always looking at that, and they're quick to get the puck out of their own zone. Mm -hmm. They make a good first pass. And I think that they don't overplay. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes defensemen uh, try to go a little too east-west and it's just go north-south, get the puck out, and, and then join the rush. Do you think they have the same sort of offensive punch that they did last year when they, they're probably not going to have Jaden Grew back uh, and some of the other guys up front that they had? I mean, Ben King, Jay Sizer, these were all big offensive contributors to them. Absolutely. But you know, something I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, you, you obviously do have some really great guys coming back there. But to me, the key is actually not the top guys producing. It's 
the surprises. Mm. It's that guy who had 30 points last year, who has 65 points next year, who has, you know, 11 goals and goes to 28 or 30 or something. Those are the guys that, that uh, really make a team. And we'll see there. There's a few of those guys. I think they're on that roster that, uh, it could be very helpful for them. All right, another year under his belt for Kalen Lind. This could be a big breakout season for him as well. So, all right, Red Deer at the top for you. For me, it was uh, Saskatoon, but I had a real tough time picking between those three teams. I, I really do think they could be separated, maybe 10 points between the three of them or something. I, I do like Saskatoon, especially if that, that entire top line is back this year. And a bit of a, uh, a question mark with Jake Chaseland, because I don't know if, considering how much time he missed last year, if the Oilers will put him in the American Hockey League or if they'll decide, you know what, go back to the to the WHL. Even if that's the case and he goes back to Saskatoon, I don't know that Saskatoon is going to be where he plays either um, because they've got all their 20-year-old spots already locked up. Uh, I do like uh, Saskatoon's team from top to bottom too. I actually wonder if they stick with the two defensemen just because uh, you, know, you kind of build from the back end out. They have so much offensive ability on that team. Mm-hmm. I think that you actually have the uh, ability to move somebody like Weens. But boy, oh boy, with Long Sidoroff, was he good last year? Yeah, fantastic. absolutely terrific. Uh, and with Chase on, he was actually hurt in his 18-year-old year. But uh, it's it's a good question. You know, does Jake need one more year to get a little bigger, a little stronger? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen him over the summer. But uh, I'll tell you what that guy will remain on my all-interview team for the rest of his life. He's that good. You know what? I, I look at his numbers from last year. He, he played 70 games because between Brandon and Saskatoon, he got an extra couple of regular season games in there. But he only had 58 points. This doesn't scream like a guy to me who is too good now for the Western Hockey League. I could see a lot of benefit for Chase on to come back and play another year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that certainly did set him back losing that half season to the shoulder injury, which he suffered in Edmonton Oilers camp, actually, in yeah. their training camp. So, yeah, he wasn't back till late in the season. That's such an important developmental year, compounded by the fact that he played so little hockey in the uh, uh, Regina Hub. You know, you're down to 24 games. I think that we're still in that process of flushing out the pandemic season. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be a couple more years until the kids were too young really to be impacted. Right. But if you lost that season at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, that's tough to overcome, I would think. Yeah, even worse for those kids in the OHL that lost a complete uh, season. Um, but uh, anyway, we're talking, we're focusing on this league. Um, defensively for Saskatoon, Tanner Molendyke, probably that guy who has the big breakout season that you were talking about when we were discussing Red Deer. But 37 points last year, a lot of those were in the second half of the season when he took on more offensive responsibility, he could be uh, a big breakout player. Maybe he's one of those guys that goes from 37 points to 50, 60. I think so. Is he not a beautiful skater? Well, he's one of those guys that would you, you would just, just pay to watch him skate. Yeah. Um, he's obviously going to have top-pairing minutes. He's going to be on Saskatoon's probably first unit power play. Um, it'll be interesting to see them get by the uh, loss of De La Gorgendier. Yes. Still, yeah, it would have been in grade 10 before I learned to spell that. But, yeah, good um, riddance so on behalf of all broadcasters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what a fantastic player. I enjoyed watching him as much as I enjoyed anybody in the Eastern Conference last year. Mm-hmm. always looked forward to seeing him when Saskatoon came into town. 
But, you know, Molendyke is going to have to take on some of that leadership that he provided before, and he's going to have to eat up some extra minutes too. But, you know, at 18, I think he's primed and ready to do it. I think that he's going to be one of the best D-men in the conference this year. All right, so as it's worked out, you and I both have Red Deer as the top team in the uh, in the Central Division and arguably the top team in the conference. Uh, I had Saskatoon on top of the the East Division. That doesn't mean that you did, though. You mentioned Moose Jaw is in that top three mix for you. Do you like the Blades or the Warriors as the top team? <laughs> the funny thing is I keep saying, okay, well, this has got to be the year the Blades fall back to earth, and they never seem to. Hmm. They, You know, the last few years, it's just been they've reloaded over and over again. Moose Jaw, I saw in the preseason, and, you know, how much can you take from the preseason? No. It's just my concern with them now is that the top guys there are going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, you know, and obviously, Ferguson Yeager and uh, Calvert and uh, Matejuk. Talk about a dynamic top four to build around. Yep. Uh, it's just that they're going to need that uh, complementary scoring from down in the lineup, and I'm talking about the Alleries and guys like that. That uh, And even uh, I like Patrick Crawl when he was here too, the check forward, the 17-year-old. They need some of those guys to step up because that's a heavy load for four guys to carry. If I'm comparing Saskatoon and Moose Jaw, one of the areas that I give the edge to Saskatoon is, is between the net. And that's not to say Jackson Unger can't do it, but he hasn't been the starter yet, whereas Austin Elliott has basically with a platoon system last year. I think I have more trust that I, I'm I'm more confident that he can carry the load. Now, Unger did play a lot when the other Unger was injured or not eligible to uh, to play when he was suspended. Um, so there's that. But yeah. I, I give a slight edge in net to the Blades. Oh, absolutely. You know, the Saskatoon goaltending situation resolved itself last year. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all kind of wondering what was going to happen. Uh, but they played very, very well. And I think maybe Unger and Moose Jaws still remains a little bit of an unknown. Now, that's not to say that this kid can't get red hot and lead that team all season. Because, you know, as we've talked about, there's guys who step up every year and he could certainly be one of them. It's just there's fewer of those unknowns in Saskatoon than there are in Moose Jaw. All right, so if those are our top three, I've got six teams fighting for the last five playoff spots. I'm not sure if you see it kind of similar or not, but who is the next team in the in the conference, in your opinion? Probably Medicine Hat. I like that group so much. They're still a little bit young, but mm-hmm. they are so fast. They, um, you know, if you've been watching the league for the last 20 years, it seems like every year they bring in this group of water beetles up front that you just <laughs> you chase them around the ice all night. Um, that's going to be a fun, fun team to watch this year. And you know, McKenna, how good is he going to be? Yeah. Uh, I, I really like uh, Medicine Hat's forward group uh, with all the guys that, that you've already touched on. I think Thomas Mercik is a good player. Caden Lindstrom in his draft year. Same with Andrew Basha. They've, they've got a lot of talent. And then you add uh, a full season of Gavin McKenna in there. Yeah, that's that's a good-looking group up front. My concern for them is between the pipes. I'm not I'm not sure if they have a, uh, a starting netminder um, this year or not. Uh, and I know there'll be some changes on the blue line, too, and it's it's a little... It's uh, the blue line to me is a little vanilla. I'll put it that way. Um, but I do think Drew Krebs could have a big year uh, for them, assuming he's still there. I know they've got lots of twenty-year-old options. I would have to think he's going to be one of those guys. But uh, I do like uh, Medicine Hat, that's for sure. But I do have some concerns with them too. You made a remark about 
their age. They might still be a little young. And that's why I don't have them in that four spot, but I definitely have them as a playoff team. So who do you have in the four spot? I'm waiting for the Swift Current Broncos to finally realize their potential. And I'm, I I have them in that four spot just because I think they should have been a lot better than where they were last year. Uh, I, to me, this is either Swift Current is fighting for home ice in the first round or there's changes uh, happening with that organization. That, I, to me, on paper, they're just too good to be where they are. It was shocking to me that they didn't make the playoffs last year. You know, Philman and Pickering and Ward and that mm-hmm. Connor Fidston and like that's just such a good group. I, I just didn't understand it. Just, I don't know if it was just a little bit of inconsistency, um, and maybe it's a team that's learning to win again too. Because let's face it, they haven't done a lot of it since uh, they sold the farm to win. Right. But I, I was disappointed with them last year because. They came into Brandon, and I really, really like that group. They skate well. They have good scoring. They, but they weren't keeping the puck out of their own net. And I don't know if that uh, boils down because I thought they had good goaltending too with Reed Dick. But yeah, um, I don't know. They're a puzzle to me. Yeah, I just don't see why they aren't better. Uh, they're either fourth or maybe they missed the playoffs again. Uh, you know, it's there's for some reason that team just hasn't uh, clicked into their potential. And, and Reed Dick, I, I think I read reports out of Boston that he's banged up in training camp, so might not be available at the start of the season. We'll see. Uh, but Joey Roach's got some experience now as well as their number two guy. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, I guess it's for, it's the preseason. We're saying, uh, I guess we'll wait and see a lot, uh, but that's how it is with junior hockey. They've got that young defenseman uh, to Peyton Kettles. Yes. Uh, I think he's a Winnipeg kid. He's huge. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him because he's supposed to be a real, real good player. Yes. He was a top pick in the 2022 draft, fifth or sixth overall. Yep. Sixth overall, and you're right, big. 6'3", six, 6'4", six, closing in on 200 pounds, not quite there yet. Uh, Josh Fluker, though, uh, seventh overall pick the year before that. Uh, so they've got a couple of really highly touted uh, young defensemen uh, ready to step up and, and take on a bigger role. We'll see. Okay, so that's a, a number of the teams already. Uh, where do you see the Lethbridge Hurricanes? They're a little bit of a puzzle to me this year. Uh, you know, I liked how they played last year. Uh, they came in here and actually beat Brandon two nights in a row on the Friday, Saturday, I believe. And Don McGilvery was fired on the Sunday, mm. and Marty Murray took over. Uh, they played very, very well against Brandon. Uh, of course, they've got former Weeking Riley or Riley, uh, Tyson Zimmer in the lineup to give his brother. Um, so he was a nice addition for them. That's another team that it's almost like a Red Deer Rebels identity, big and solid, big forwards always, and punish teams. That's a good, good group. I, I look forward to seeing them again. We'll see. That's another one of those teams. All the teams that we're talking about between four and nine could be fourth and could be ninth. Yes, exactly. I have a very small margin between all of those teams. I think it's I think it's three, and then I have six teams for the last five playoff spots. Even the team that misses out, I think, doesn't miss out by all that much. Uh, what I like about Lethbridge, I think uh, Harrison Menigan in net is legit, uh, although he was the number two guy yeah. before it and hasn't been asked to be the starter for a prolonged period. He, di- he did get some time when uh, uh, Logan Thompson, when Logan Thompson was out with injury. Uh, Menigan was able to fill in. Brian Thompson. Uh, Brian Thompson. Logan Brian Thompson, Thompson, right. Logan Thompson's a little bit busy in Vegas last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their defense. Joe Arnson, too, on that blue line. Their defensive core is huge and veteran. They're 
they're pretty sound. And that's kind of a comparison with Red Deer as well, uh, that they're big and strong. Joe Arnson, Chase Pauls, Noah Chadwick. These guys are all big with size. And Logan McCutcheon went for a little offensive punch, I think, can take that to uh, another level this year, too. They also play with a lot of snarl. Yep. I like I like watching them. Uh, they don't make an easy night for anybody. When you're playing that blue line, you know, you might beat them, but you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Now, their problem last year was they didn't score a lot. They were able to keep the puck out of their own net, but uh, they didn't score a bunch. Um, so it's going to be up to young guys like Miguel Marcus to uh, to really step up. And, again, if, if we can take anything away from preseason, uh, he did have a pretty good offensive preseason, so maybe he is – ready to take that next step. Yeah. And uh Swetlikoff's another guy. Yep. That uh that they picked up that you know, he could be one of those guys at the top of the lineup. You just need some guys to step into that first power play and generate some chances and get some points. And that's again going back to somebody has to step into these roles and somebody has to score. Just as simple as that. Perry Bergson from the Brandon Sun, my guest as we're uh, looking at the WHL's Eastern Conference uh, the Calgary Hitmen are a bit of a, an interesting conversation, too, because I've spoken with people who don't think they're a playoff team. I've spoken with people who think they could be a home ice advantage in the first round. How do you see the Hitmen? I see them on the bottom side of the 4-9. to nine. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't know quite where the goals are going to come from. Riley Fiddler-Schultz has finally graduated after what seemed like about 15 years in the league. Uh, Jacob Wright, Braden Peters gone. I don't know. Like you have Oliver Tolk was fantastic last year. Uh, Carter Kemchuk on the blue line is, yeah. uh, is very good. Like to have some pieces, I just don't know how they're going to come together yet. Biggest concern for me with Calgary would be between the pipes. And uh, after so many years of Braden Peters being the number one guy, now it's up to Ethan Buenaventura. And again, until he does it, he hasn't done it. Uh, so th- that would be the biggest question mark for me with the Hitman. And also offensively, who's going to score uh, for them up front? Although I did like, uh, I think Carson Wetch could be set up for a pretty good year. You mentioned Oliver Tolk. Sean Chagall was, he didn't look like himself last year. Like his draft season, really impressive. Last year, kind of was almost like going through the motions a little bit. I don't know if there might have been injury along the way that I didn't hear about or something. He just, he didn't take that next step. Uh, that you th- expect most people to do, especially after a draft. I still liked him, though. Like You could still see that even when the production wasn't happening, mm-hmm. uh, I thought he was a responsible player, and I thought he was a really smart player. Um, sometimes he's just making those little... You know, coaches talk about details all the time now. That's a big word in hockey, details. Right. And I thought he was a details guy. All right, so we'll see. I, 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 I do think they're in that mix. Uh, to be a playoff team, although, I've, again, I've spoken with some people who don't think they're a playoff team. Okay, so we've talked about Saskatoon, Red Deer, Moose Jaw, Swift Current, uh, Lethbridge, Calgary. You touched on uh, the Brandon Weekings, and we've also talked about the Medicine Hat Tigers. That's eight teams. In your opinion, are those the eight playoff teams? I wouldn't be shocked to see PA squeak in. Really? I really wouldn't. Uh, I like that group. They're young. Um Ryder Ritchie, how good was he last year? I don't know. There's enough. And, you know, even Terrell Goldsmith on the on the back end, I like him a lot. Uh, Sloan Stanek is a local guy who plays there. Uh, he's going to be very, very good for them. Mm-hmm. We'll see if they score enough. That's going to probably be the issue there. 
but they sure defend well, and, and uh, I like Jeff Truitt's teams. I always have. I do like Sloan Stanek, and I'm with you with uh, Ryder Ritchie. Outside of that offensively, it's it's young. I think they're going to have to really depend on some youth to, to step up for them. Uh, I do like the addition of uh, Chase Coward, though, from Red Deer, assuming, knock on wood for his sake, that he's healthy all year uh, after double hip surgery last summer. Um, I, I think he could be a difference maker for them. And if they are a playoff team, I would suggest Coward is a big reason uh, for that success that they, they could potentially have this year. Um, that's it. I thought that was a nice addition for them. Right. I, absolutely. You know, it, it stabilized that position, especially after uh, Tikon Chaka, uh signed back in Belarus right. and, and won't be back. Um, they also had that Eric Johnson. He was uh, acquired in the Gooley deal. Yep. Do you remember seeing him at Prospects Camp in Edmonton? Uh, well, we we had him here as an Edmonton Oil King. What like what were your impressions of him as a young guy? Well, when he was here, he was. I mean, the the team was very good. Um, so he didn't play a ton. He was you know not an everyday player uh, on the back end, but not he was sort of steady, stay at home sort of guy. But I think his game has evolved since moving to Prince Albert, and now that he's uh, you know a nineteen year old in the league, I think he's going to be one of those leaders on the back end, uh, along with uh, Terrell Goldsmith. And uh, so I think there'll be high expectations for what he can bring for, for Prince Albert this year. He's a, he's not a marquee name. He's not a guy that people outside of the WHL talk about. Right. Yeah. They, I don't think they have quite the dynamic defenseman they had. You know, certainly when you lose a Landon Kozier who graduates, mm-hmm. um, you know, even up front, Evan Herman and Keaton Sorensen. Um, I think they're going to be more of a crash Standing in front of Prince Albert's net is going to be a miserable experience this year again, just yeah. miserable. So we'll, you know, we'll see how uh, how that goes. If they can score enough, I can see them being a seven or eight team. It's the post Bedard era for the Regina Pats. A new general manager, uh, Alan Miller, as well, who I have a lot of respect for. Uh, what do you expect from? from the Pats this season because they're definitely going to be missing that uh, nuclear option up front. Oh, was he not wonderful to watch? Yeah. Connor Bedard <laughs> was really, really something. But, you know, you even lose uh, Stanislav Swozel and um, just even complimentary pieces like Riley Janelle and Tanner Brown, Luke mm-hmm. Bateman. I don't know necessarily beyond Tanner Howe who's going to score for them a lot this year. Agreed. Uh, now I, I saw, um, Christopher Huey's son, Ewan is, or Ewan is playing with them this year, 18 year old goaltending rookie. Mm-hmm. He was fantastic in Brandon and Lord knows they're going to need gold, good goaltending every mm-hmm. night because they're going to have to win. I think a lot of two and two to one and three to two games. Yeah. Because I don't think they're going to win seven, six games like they did last year. Uh, I again, people I've spoken with think they they might be the last place team this year in the conference and maybe in the league. Would you go that far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. we're we're in agreement then that uh, that's what we're expecting from the Pats. The one team we haven't spoken about uh, was the last place team in the league last year, and that would be the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, you are outside of this market, so I'm really intrigued uh, what you think of uh, the roster this year for Edmonton. Well, they're going to be better, but they have kind of nowhere to go but up. I'll tell you what, Gavin Hodnett is going to be such a good player. He was a good player last year. Um, but if you lead your team in scoring at 16, there's a problem. So 
you're going to need a lot of growth from a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. And you have a better insight into it than I do. You know, like where are the goals going to come from this year beyond him? Well, I, I think they have high expectations for their import pick in uh, yeah, Adam Yeko, who uh, comes over from the from Czechia, uh, was on the Holinka Gretzky yeah. Cup team actually for them the last three years, which is ridiculous to think that he, he's only 17. So he was one of their top youngsters uh, for the last three years over there. Uh, looked pretty good in preseason. He's got size. He's probably going to play in the middle, and it might be with Hodnett on one side and, and Aiden Litke, who they uh, acquired from the Portland Winterhawks. Uh, might be on the other side uh, on that top line. And Litke's look good here in, in camp. Ty Nash is a nice piece, too. Mark LaJoy is a great piece. Ty Nash is banged up. So uh, uh, what I'm hearing is that he probably won't be a, available until mid-November or something. And right now they've got five, including Nash, five 2003 birthdays on the team. So they've got a decision to make here right away. Uh, because he also picked up Kean Bell, who was the SJHL Player of the Year uh, last season. He's a, a 2003-born player, played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but his mom uh, is from the North Battleford area, and so he's got that family connection, so he played in the SJ last year. Now, he, I, I'm not even sure if he played the final preseason game with the Oil Kings or not. They just added him a week ago, um, so I'm not sure what to expect from him yet. He put up over 100 points to win the SJ last year, so if he's got any offensive punch, that'll be a welcome addition. I'll tell you who my dark horse guy for the Oil Kings is this year, and that's Nathan Pilling, who uh, he's six foot three, over 200 pounds. I think he just went to an NHL camp, um, got hurt, so missed the last two months of the season after being acquired right before the uh, trade deadline. But in his short time with the Oil Kings, he was really effective. He's He's got a lot of speed. He's got hands. And he plays with some uh, some anger and some snarl as well. Uh, I think he's going to be a nice addition. The one difference between this year's Oil Kings and what we've seen in the past, this might be the biggest Oil Kings team I've seen. Everybody on the back end, outside of uh, Jacob Hoffroggy, who I think is probably the odd man out when it comes to the 2003s, they're all huge. You mentioned Mark Lajoie, 6'6", but Carter Kowalik, 6'3". Parker Alcos is 6'3". Reese Peterson is 6'4". These are this is a very big blue line, and they add Blake Fiddler, who's also six three, right? Uh, coming from the U.S. Um, the U.S. draft, uh, and he's looked really good. So it's it's going to be a very big team. It's going to be hard to get to the net against Edmonton this year. They're not going to get pushed around. Well, for their sake, let's hope that these guys play six three and six four, and yes, six five. Yeah. Um, sometimes the five ten guy who's uh, two hundred and ten pounds is just as effective as the big guy. Yeah. But, yeah. All in their approach in the ice. All right, so I'm looking at last year's uh, stats uh, to get into the playoffs. I think the the team that just missed out, or the uh, let's say the the eighth seed in the conference, uh, that was the Medicine Hat Tigers. They won 30 games. So uh, Swift Current won 31, and it wasn't enough. So that 30 game mark, let's say you got to win at least 30 games to to get into the playoffs. Probably a little different this year because there's only there's uh, only 11 teams, so only three miss out, but. I don't know if Edmonton can can hit the 30-game mark this year, but I think they're going to be pretty close. They are that, that team that I have as the ninth one trying to get into the playoffs. On paper, I wrote that they finished ninth. I could uh, see a scenario where they squeak in as that number eight team. I wouldn't be surprised if you need 33 or 34 wins this year just because you're subtracting Winnipeg Ice, right. who had 57 wins in the conference last year. Uh, I think 
well, everything that you and I have talked about in the last half hour is parody. Yeah. You know, I, I don't like Red Deer Rebels are the probably the class of the conference, but are they a Winnipeg Ice last year or Seattle Thunderbirds in the Western Conference last year? No. Yeah, I agree. No. They're just a very good team. Um, so that's why I think that there's going to be more teams beating more teams this year right across the conference. And you're going to need more wins this year. Is there a storyline in particular that you're looking for this year to, to see how it plays out? The thing that I am most interested in is the rebound from COVID still in rinks across the league. Now, there was a Connor Bedard effect last year that kind of maybe artificially boosted attendance around the league. Right. So that's one of the things I'm going to be watching is, you know, are people coming back? Because some nights there were great crowds here in Brandon or, you know, when I'm watching the team on the road, and then some nights were just pretty quiet. And that's concerning, I think, to teams right around the league. Uh, the Maybe the comeback attendance-wise was a little slower than they had hoped for because people just got used to being at home, not spending the money. So we'll see. Uh, you're going to maybe lose, a, a, take a slight step back with Bedard gone, mm-hmm. but you don't want to take a giant one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And that was one of the things on my list was to to see how the, the attendance would I don't know if suffer is the right word, but be affected by a no more Connor Bedard. The Pats were here in Edmonton twice last season, but it was all before Christmas. For one, right before the World Junior, and that crowd, I think, was eight or 9,000. Um, but the first meeting was early in the year. There was only 3,500 people here. It was like people weren't hadn't figured out yet that you could watch Bedard for $20 right now or $250 you know, this year if you want to come to Edmonton and watch them with the Chicago Blackhawks. I think people, general hockey fans are still asleep when it comes to the, the quality of the Western Hockey League and the talent that you can come and watch for a pretty reasonable price. It's interesting. Exactly the same thing happened at Brandon. He was here in September and 2,000 people were there. And then he was here in February or March and there was, you know, it was a sellout, yeah. 5,000. So clearly he was twice as good the next spring <laughs> as he was in the fall. Perry, you're twice as good uh, when you're on the show and you don't have COVID. So uh, I appreciate that uh, we're 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 both healthy this time <laughs> because we've done that in the past where one of us has COVID. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate you making time to come on the show. Uh, this was fun, and I don't know if you're making the trip to Edmonton when the wheat comes, uh, when the wheat kings come. But uh, hopefully, we cross paths this time. Yeah, and I'll be uh, looking for some of that jerky. Perry Bergson uh, from the Brandon Sun, who uh, does such a great job covering the Western Hockey League, and it's always great when he is able to make time to come on the Pipeline Show. Make sure you're following him on uh, Twitter and X and uh, wherever else you might be getting your social media fixes from when it comes to the Western Hockey League. Now, during that conversation, unbeknownst to us, the Saskatoon Blades and the Brandon Wheat Kings made a trade. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's uh, still not up on the Western Hockey League's uh, website under the transactions list. But the Wheaties pick up Jaden Weens from the Blades, who was one of those overage players that we were talking about with the Saskatoon having to get down with their numbers. Well, Brandon adds him for a third in 2025 and a fourth in 2027. And things at this time of year seem to happen pretty quickly, so... I'm going to tell you who the four 20-year-olds or who the 20-year-olds are for the Wheat Kings now with Weens in the mix. But by the time this airs publicly on Friday, 
that might have changed as well. Uh, right now they have Brett Hyland and Dawson Pasternak, and now Weens, all of those guys, forwards. Caden Sandra Kang is uh, the big defenseman. So on paper, again, as I'm speaking to you right now, Brandon's got too many. Meanwhile, the Saskatoon Blades still have too many, assuming they get Jake Chase on back from the Edmonton Oilers, which isn't a guarantee, but they do have Trevor Wong, Charlie Wright, and Spencer Chagru, the last two are on the blue line. So if they get Chase on back uh, from the Oilers, then they've got an issue. It's a good problem to have, though. Those are four quality junior players. But that is how quickly things can change here. As I was having that conversation with Perry, that I think we were recording between 1 and one thirty my time. Uh, the trade happened, yeah, during our conversation. But because we were both tied up talking to each other, we didn't see it until after the interview was recorded. Well, let us know what you thought of our uh, WHL Eastern Conference preview. Who are your top eight playoff teams and which three teams will miss the playoffs? Who do you have first overall in each division and in the conference? Let us know. You can find me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee, and you can track down Perry at Perry Bergson. And with that, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the program. This time next week, the WHL and the Q will have already started. The Ontario Hockey League will be kicking off. The USHL just got underway as I'm uh, speaking with you right now. So we'll have an update from south of the border, including the North American Hockey League. We'll continue previewing the NCAA season. So lots to get to. Between now and then, get out and watch some junior and college hockey if you can, so we can talk about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Keith Flaming. Until then, see ya!